Paranormal Radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. You know, over the years, we have had pre-game and post-game shows or segments on the Paracast. In some years, we would do the post-game show where we would talk about the guest you just heard and tell you what you should think about it. Now, lately we haven't done that. We do mostly a pre-game show where we give you time a week or two to figure out what happened on the previous show, make your comments known, then we express our comments, not just force an opinion on you. I know that some people would prefer the post-game interview where we rag on the guest. I don't think we should do that. Chris? No, I, I don't either. Uh, you know, people need to to listen and make up their own minds. They don't need uh, some sort of Howard Cosell color commentary to kind of force feed our particular personal opinions uh, on people. I think people are bright enough and smart enough to make up their own uh, minds about the the quality or veracity of a guest. And and I, I prefer the you know our current <laughs> modus operandi. I I would much rather introduce a guest and allow the guest to you know formulate any sort of opinion in our listeners minds for themselves or hang themselves or hang themselves yeah we've been doing pretty good lately though we've had some really good quality guests on uh, i really enjoyed our, our show with ben radford jesse ventura was fascinating uh what an amazing guy you know i think that's sh- the quality of the shows is being uh, appreciated on on our forums too uh we've had some real lively debate and that's a good thing. Well, in terms of Governor Ventura, the biggest argument is over the Kennedy assassination. It is fascinating how it happened in 1963, folks. Okay, so what is that, 48 years ago? Despite that, they are still debating all the fundamentals, including whether the rifle that Oswald got, whether the one he bought by mail order was perfectly capable of doing those shoots, whether he had the capability. And that's part of the healthy argument. You see it both ways, where Ventura says, well, he's an expert, whereas someone like Oswald was a marksman, which is just enough, as they say. Just enough. Sure. But regardless of that, the point being here that this is something that will never go away. That debate will never end. I think 100 years from now, they'll still be talking about the Kennedy assassination and whether Oswald did it, whether he was part of a conspiracy, whether he was a patsy, whatever. Yeah. Well, I think it's a paranormal event, if you ask me, like Roswell, like 9-11. <laughs> I think all these things are actually, they're so mysterious, and there's so much evidence to point to uh, you know, in, in either side, on either side of the argument, that I, I really do. I just kind of dismiss, dismiss it all and say, oh, they're just paranormal events. Well, that makes it easy. Do you think the trickster was involved? <laughs> Since you're the trickster guy. Oh. <laughs> Okay, so Mr. Trickster, tell us, were you responsible for the Kennedy assassination? Did you plan it? Were you there in Dealey Plaza in Dallas? No, actually, I was uh, in a Safeway, I think, uh, supermarket in L.A. I was about five years old. I remember when we walked in, there was a horrible smell in the parking lot. I just kind of dismissed it um, out of my nose. We were inside shopping, and the announcement came over the public address system in the store that the president had been shot. I remember thinking, wow, everybody's really freaking out about this. And, and I, I remember I was so bummed. My, my little brother and I were so bummed because for the next three days, there were no cartoons on TV. It was all these somber funeral processions and people talking, and, and it, it just wasn't any fun. I wanted, to, I wanted to watch cartoons. I you know, Hey, look, people die. You know, That was my attitude. Well, anyway, when we left the Safeway, 
the cops were crowbarring a trunk open, and there was some, like, dead body in a trunk in the parking lot. Another paranormal event, I guess. I, I, oh, I boy. Yeah, pretty weird. <laughs> Tell That's me one about of my it. earliest memories, really strong, vivid memories. And, Everyone uh, who was alive that day remembers. I remember going to the post office on my bicycle, okay? Going to the post office, coming back to the house. And I noticed the post office, a somber kind of mood. I said nothing. Came back to the house. My father came back from work. He said, did you know the president was shot? And I hadn't been listening to the radio. I hadn't been watching TV, so I didn't know. So I then turned on the TV. As you say, three days, three days, nothing on TV but the Kennedy assassination. But it's like we entered a second reality. You know, we had this reality of innocence that existed before 1963. And then we had the second reality that began with the Kennedy assassination. And I remember in the very early days, I started working in radio. I was working for a commercial station in Minnesota, as a matter of fact, the home state of Jesse Ventura. And this was the year that Robert Kennedy was shot. And I heard this on the radio from the large clear channel radio station WCCO in Minneapolis. So I called our station manager, woke him up, and I said, I don't want to tell you what happened, man, but Robert Kennedy was shot. So he ran to the studio, and we turned on the station. It was a daytimer. So about an hour before dawn, we get on the air. At sundown, we go off the air. We came on the air, and within five minutes, he's on there doing a commentary. That's what I remember. Well, yeah, those were uh, pivotal events, I think, in American history. I, I really and – the, and the JFK Jr., uh, crash, I think, is, is another example of a potential paranormal event. There's so much controversy surrounding that event. Still, these pivotal events are really important, I think. It is strange. When these things happen, you don't just say, well, some crazed guy kills the president or some crazed guy kills a man who would be president. You think of the possibility that he acted in concert with someone else. It can't be simple. It can't be just one lone lunatic. We think of the person who killed John Lennon as one lone lunatic, the person who tried to do in President Reagan as one crazy guy. But these other incidents, it's got to be a conspiracy. Well, I don't know. The whole Hinckley thing was uh, pretty hinky in my book. Oh? Oh, yeah. Yeah, look at uh, Hinckley Sr. and, and uh, the oil wells that he sold to, Bush, uh, to the Bush family. Empt I think 30 empty oil wells that he got quite a few million dollars for. I, I mean, I don't want to get going on this because I'm, I'm just going to get myself in trouble. But if you do your research, you'll find that there are connecting points all over the place with certain families and political power structures in this country um, that are always lurking about on the periphery around these types of, uh, you know, just heinous events. As if they're pulling some strings. That would be the knee-jerk assumption. <laughs> And we don't want to jerk our knees because it gets very painful when you get old. Uh, yeah, especially my knees. Well, you do all this climbing and all this hiking and all this exploratory investigation on the scene. You take the tours of the Grand Canyon. Actually, you give the tours. So is that something you just do in a motor vehicle or do you actually have to do climbing? Well, it depends on who I'm taking along. Uh, generally, I try to uh, keep it as low impact as possible. And uh, <laughs> um, this upcoming trip I'm doing up to the uh, San Luis Valley, though, is going to involve some, uh, uh, some strenuous activity. But we'll have to see. We're bringing a lot of gear up. We have a new uh, toy that's 
just we got the prototype from MIT that we're going to be uh, looking at uh, gravitons and muon uh, possibilities of uh, detecting changes. Uh, I'm not sure exactly about the science. I'm going to be up to speed before I am joined by a fellow investigator to go up there and hit some very specific locations that uh, I've always felt had uh, special significance. So we'll we'll have to do a show on that once uh, uh, Rosemary and I get back. If you get back. Oh, we'll be back. <laughs> You'll taking be the train, back. too. I, I love trains. <laughs> it's been so long since I've taken a train anywhere. There are no trains here. They do have light rail in the Phoenix area. But it's almost right. like a above-ground trolley car. Right. Not, not the same thing. Not quite. You that know nobody uses. <laughs> not the same thing. This week, we bring back for an encore appearance Micah Hanks. He's a paranormal investigator. Has his own radio show, by the way. And in the talking points he sent me, he has some new research into the Mothman episode. Ooh. Right. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that. Micah is one of those, uh, one of the few uh, younger generation investigators uh, who I sincerely admire. And uh, the Grayling Report, his website is a must read. Uh, he's a very good writer and, and a very accomplished bluegrass uh, musician, has a great band. Uh, it's going to be a real pleasure to have Micah back on the show. But no bluegrass music. Micah Hanks, coming up next on The Paracast. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and Pro Flowers is offering an amazing special. 100 stunning blooms for mom, plus a free glass vase for just $19.99. Go to proflowers.com, look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner, and enter the secret code MANY. But hurry, this incredible deal expires this Friday. Flower prices will skyrocket next week. Order now from Pro Flowers to get huge savings. You pick the delivery date, and it's guaranteed. 100 colorful blooms for mom sent fresh from the fields, guaranteed to stay fresh and beautiful for at least a full seven days for only $19.99. And we'll include a free glass vase with every order. Remember, flower prices can double, even triple Mother's Day week. And this incredible special expires Friday. The only way to get this amazing deal is to visit proflowers.com. Look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner and enter the secret code MANY. Go to proflowers.com. Secret code MANY. That's proflowers.com. Code MANY. Are you wondering about your retirement portfolio? Are you confident that the financial advisor is experienced enough to combat climbing interest rates, taxes, and inflation? Stop guessing and go to the expert, Robert Chapman of the International Forecaster. When you subscribe to the International Forecaster, you get Robert Chapman's 45 years of experience and concise investment recommendations. Who needs sugar-coated excuses when you can get the cold hard facts and proven investment leads you can't get anywhere else? For a free introductory copy to Robert Chapman's International Forecaster, Subscribe now at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. Experience the difference. When you subscribe, you can email Robert Chapman directly to obtain investment advice tailored just for you. Don't wait another minute. Subscribe today at theinternationalforecaster.com or call 877-479-8178. That's 877-479-8178. This is an urgent message. Urgent if you care about feeding your family. S-510 has passed through Congress and will make the sale of heirloom seeds difficult. 
prices of non-GMO seeds are skyrocketing and may be hard to afford in the future, if you can even find them. As the economy continues to decline, this will make the heirloom seeds worth their weight in gold and one of the best barter tools available. When food supplies eventually run out, your solution is to grow your own food and barter tool. Now, for a short time, GetSeeds.net offers 100 packets of heirloom non-GMO vegetable seeds for only $59. Pay with two ounces of pure silver or just $59. The best price on the net for high-quality seeds. Our GetSeeds.net seeds are open-pollinated vegetable seeds sealed in a Mylar bag for long-term storage. Bulk pricing available. So get seeds while you still can at GetSeeds.net or call toll-free 877-341-4769. That's 877-341-4769. Before you throw away your used batteries, you need to listen to this. Now, going green can save money. Go green and save money by giving life to your used batteries by charging them with the Renaissance Charger. The Renaissance Charger uses a new revolutionary battery charging technology that effectively extends the life of new batteries and gives new life to used batteries. Invented by legendary audio genius John Bedini, this unique and patented charging system rejuvenates the electrochemical plate structure in the battery without additives, increasing capacity and maintaining cell integrity. Renaissance Charge offers a full line of products made in the USA for all types and sizes of batteries. Find out why our customers tell us the Renaissance Charger is the only battery charger they will ever use. Save your money. Save the environment. Visit us online at r-charge.com. That's r-charge.com. Or call us at 208-772-4514. That's 208-772-4514. Be a part of the revolution today. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com On the Paracast with Gene Steinberger and our co-host Chris O'Brien, we welcome back someone who was on the show a year or two back and he's incredibly talented as a musician. He's also a paranormal investigator, has a publication called Graylian Report, is involved in radio and all that stuff, but Micah Hanks, we got a note from you here about new research into Mothman. Now, I kind of thought that was, you know, the issue, the Silver Bridge and all that stuff. <laughs> it already happened. We had the movie there with, of course, Richard Gere playing a compendium of characters, including John Keel, whom he called Klein. Right. Okay. So what led you to go back into Mothman? What's going on here? Yes, back into a foray into the Mothman world. Uh, you know, first of all, I'll, I'll kind of say that, that Mothman has been something that has fascinated me for more than a decade, if not, oh gosh, you know, my entire life since I was old enough to be conscious of, of there being things that were, well, maybe beyond what we typically call conscious. The Mothman, uh, of course, is this winged, some people call it a cryptozoological thing, some people call it interdimensional, which is, I think, the, I think that was the term that John Keel actually preferred, who authored the book The Mothman Prophecies, that was the impetus for that 
that film you mentioned there. I loved the film, by the way. I had to go see that one in the theaters when it came out. But the interesting thing about Mothman to me is that it, it is really this kind of a singular thing. You know, you have reports of Bigfoot here in the United States and the Almas or the, uh, you know, the Yeti and things like that, uh, Yaren, Yowie, all around the, uh, the other parts of the world. Uh, in other words, there are anthropomorphic looking ape creatures seen virtually everywhere throughout the world. This lends people to think that maybe we're looking at either some sort of a psychological or maybe even in a Jungian psychological sense, archetypal sort of phenomenon, or that there are truly anthropomorphic ape creatures that are just similar enough to humans that have existed on the fringes of society and live dispersed throughout parts of the world. Whereas the Mothman creature, despite a lot of popular reports that, that claim that these things are seen all around the world at the time disasters occur, a lot of that is really kind of you know folklore that has come together as a result of the the disaster, the Silver Bridge disaster, uh, being directly associated with the sightings of the creature around Point Pleasant in the late 1960s. That's Point Pleasant, West Virginia. So I've been fascinated by Mothman for a long time because this creature uh, seems to represent almost a singular manifestation of something that at least vaguely uh, appeared humanoid. It had wings, which, according to John Keel and others, were described as being you know pretty small comparative to the size of the body. The thing was described as being between maybe five and a half to six, maybe seven feet tall. Uh, and yet the wingspan was only 10 feet. And this thing was seen flying in a number of instances. So how in the world does something with a 10-foot wingspan carry a, a human-like body that's 7 feet tall? So, you know, you begin to look at a lot, of the, a lot of these reports and say, you know, that there are things that maybe don't add up. And that initially had always kind of stuck with me. And I thought maybe this is something that literally is able to defy gravity, something interdimensional, uh, something that, that, that is able to uh, propel itself through the air in a very non-conventional way. But looking back at a lot of the early reports, you'll notice that even the early uh, uh, witness uh, witnesses, the, the two couples that were dra- driving in a car, uh, Scarberry and the Mallets, they had described, I think it appeared in a, in a newspaper called the, uh, the Pacific stars and stripes that uh that the creature had quote been a very awkward runner uh, and this description of it running was mentioned in conjunction with the thing chasing their car at speeds almost exceeding 100 miles per hour. Now, granted, later on, those witnesses would also say that they did, in fact, see the thing flying behind their vehicle. Uh, the subsequent encounter that occurred the next night in which uh, you know one of the, uh, w- the witnesses was a woman carrying her newborn baby, Tina, she actually dropped the baby because as they pulled up at a friend's house near the, uh, the very infamous abandoned TNT factory, the creature was seen, apparently had been lying on the ground. It gets up, its locomotion was described as shuffling, and it gets up and starts walking away. And they're so terrified that the mother drops the little baby, Tina. She's terrified. They get her up. She gets the baby. They get inside the friend's house, and the thing ambles up onto the back porch and stares in the windows at them with these infamous glowing red eyes. In that circumstance, to my knowledge, the creature was never described as having flown. And in a number of the other instances, it was never described as having flown. So rather than to say that Mothman was indeed a wingless creature, and the, and the popular radio program Coast to Coast AM actually linked an article I wrote for Mysterious Universe, the Australian website, uh, about this earlier this week. Rather than to say that truly the Mothman was a wingless creature, what I propose, and, and this has actually come to find out, digging a little deeper into the into the literature, I'm not the first to propose this by any means, but I began to think certainly that what we were seeing here were a, a you know relative phenomenon in the sense that they were kind of occurring in the same area of Point Pleasant, West Virginia, but they may not have been the same phenomenon. We had a creature that had wings that a few witnesses described, and we had a number of reports of what uh, John Keel would have called an abominable swamp slob. This was kind of his own description <laughs> of a of a Bigfoot-type creature. And even John Keel, if you read, uh, I think it was first 
published as uh, Strange Creatures from Time and Space, later uh, republished as the, um, the Complete Guide to Mysterious Beings in the 1990s. If you read in books like that, he even says, it was obvious we were dealing with a minority of reports of some winged being, but that we had an abominable swamp slob that was present in the area as well. So I think it's very clear that maybe there were a variety of things occurring around Point Pleasant. Not all of them were the conventional Mothman that, we, uh, that we've taken to heart. Do you think that maybe researchers went in there and they kind of mixed them all together into one mishmash? I think the important thing to address here is that that occurs very often in the study of Fortiana and the unexplained. And, you know, and I'm just as guilty of that as anyone. You know, I hear about people talking about, you know, what if we take all this weird phenomenon and let's put it all together in a great big pot and stir it together and see what we get. Let's see how interrelated all this stuff really is. And I hear, and it may not always be wrong to, to follow that logic that, you know, well, we hear about Bigfoot reports in conjunction with UFO sightings, so maybe Bigfoot is an alien. Or we hear about UFO sightings in conjunction with, uh, you know, the appearances of ghosts in haunted houses. So maybe ghosts are also some sort of, a, you know, interdimensional or extraterrestrial phenomenon. In fact, I wrote an article for Fate Magazine a few years ago about that. I think it was called Ghostly Respectors new receptors, uh, new parallels between ghosts and UFOs. But but the point is, is that I don't think that it's always healthy to, even if you want to draw you know, distinct parallels between phenomena. And you don't always want to say that they are necessarily interrelated. The reason why is because if you say that, for instance, in Point Pleasant, if a creature is being seen, if you say that every one of those creatures, because somebody saw a quote-unquote mothman, which we know actually from studying the literature, it didn't resemble a moth at all. That was a term that the press gave it. <laughs> Back in the early days of the UFO mystery. Oh, yeah, flying when saucer. Kenneth Arnold said saucers skipping across water to describe the motion of what he saw, which were, what, crescent shapes? Uh-huh. Oh, it's flying saucers. Exactly. I, I, of course, you know, regardless of the fact that we have flying cylinders, flying orbs, flying triangles, every other kind of everything, for the longest time, any UFO was referred to, even if they were just a glob of light, they were referred to as saucers. So, again, you know, we have this, well, you know, let's point that out first. The press infers this quote-unquote Mothman creature because something with wings was seen. There were a lot of reports of anomalous large birds in the Point Pleasant, West Virginia area around the time of these sightings. And then maybe we could say everything else was, a, you know, a terrestrial phenomenon, something kind of like a Bigfoot. It gets lumped in. And I think what we learn from this is that you do have to be careful when you just say that, you know, we're going to generalize and everything seen in this area because one thing might have had wings is a mothman. That may not be the case at all. We want to reduce everything to sound bites. We want to make everything as simple as possible to understand. We want the Reader's Digest version. That doesn't always work. We have Micah Hanks. His publication is called The Graylian Report, and I have to ask him to explain to our listeners what is a Graylian, and can I buy one? Can I watch one on TV? Can I take home an action figure, a Graylian action figure? There's a idea for merchandising. Tell de- me about it. Okay. Co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Hey, neighbors. Meetings are an essential part of any business. You know, making presentations to clients, collaborating with your colleagues. Well, make them as simple as possible to run and organize. Use GoToMeeting by Citrix, the easiest, most reliable online meeting service. With GoToMeeting, you can schedule an online meeting in seconds. Attendees can join with just a click from anywhere. Meeting materials are viewed on everyone's screen. Making collaboration seamless. GoToMeeting is so easy to use for you and everyone joining your meeting. Plus, with GoToMeeting, hold as many meetings as you can for one flat rate. 
to have phone conferencing and voice over IP are included. You know, my listeners can try GoToMeeting free for 30 days, a month of unlimited online meetings free. Visit GoToMeeting.com, click on the Try It Free button, and enter the promo code PODCAST. That's GoToMeeting.com, promo code PODCAST. Reality check. There are many so-called health products coming out that are here today but will be gone tomorrow. They're fads, they're hype, and a lot of gimmick. Life Change Tea is no fad. We've been around for years, and we've been slowly growing, and our products have attracted loyal customers. Why? Because our products work. Cleansing your body, losing weight, more energy, and better overall health. And you might ask, says who? Our customers say. A company shows its colors with how many people reorder the product. So don't be afraid. We're the real deal. Log on to GetTheTea.com and read all the testimonies. In fact, log on and order at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. Or call us at 928-308-0408. There's no call centers, just a friendly operator. 928 928- 308-0408. Once again, 928-308-0408. The U.S. economy is at a tipping point. 40 cents of every dollar the government spends is borrowed. The president of the Federal Reserve in Dallas was recently quoted saying, this path will lead to insolvency, resulting in the collapse of our government and our economy. Our country can't function like this, and neither can your household. That's why you need to prepare, and priority one is your food supply. Fortunately, it's easy and affordable with the help of Ready Reserve Foods. Ready Reserve Foods has been a premier supplier of long-term storable foods for 37 years. Their unique process assures the highest quality long-term food storage available with a 25-year shelf life. A full-year supply of quality food for two people costs a fraction of what you pay at the grocery store. For a free, full-color catalog, call 800-453-2202. That's 800-453-2202. Or visit readyreservefoods.com. Ready Reserve Foods, making preparedness simple since 1972. For centuries, silver has been used as a powerful natural antibiotic. And as a listener to this station, you probably already know the benefits of using colloidal silver. With so many websites to choose from, finding a reputable patriotic company with great products at affordable prices can be a difficult task. Introducing UtopiaSilver.com. UtopiaSilver.com carries the best, most effective, and most affordable colloidal silver and colloidal gold products in the industry. UtopiaSilver.com also carries products to fit your lifestyle, including weight loss, immune system defense, cleanses, herbs, joint and bone care, and much more. First-time customers using promo code GCN50 will receive 50% off all colloidal products. Visit us today at Utopia Silver. That's U-T-O-P-I-A Silver. UtopiaSilver.com or call 888-213-4338. That's 888-213-4338. UtopiaSilver.com. Taking back America's health care one American at a time. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Jacques Vallée. You're listening to the podcast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. We have Chris O'Brien as the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Micah Hanks joining us. And before we go back to the mystery surrounding Mothman and maybe some of the new revelations about 
the enigma to increase our understanding. Graylian, what is a Graylian? Uh, good question. That's that's the million dollar question right there. Uh, a Graylian is actually, in truth, a portmanteau I created. Uh, you know, we we hear about gray aliens, and what's really funny is if you look at the graylianreport.com, uh, we have you know a green alien, so it's not a, truly an alien gray <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of color and accuracy. So it's the Greylian report, but Greylian doesn't sound as good as Graylian. Exactly. Yeah, technically you'd be a Greylian, wouldn't he? But you know, the the, the idea is that uh, you have these reports of gray aliens. And so I, uh, and I, and what's funny is when I created the word Graylian, there are so many folks who say gray alien, gray alien. They can't pronounce Graylian, but yes, it is Graylian report. And you know, he's a character. He's a, he's a mascot of sorts. I mean, I don't just talk about aliens and UFOs and things at the website. As a matter of fact, if anything, if I went down in history as being known as anything, I would like to be remembered as a. Uh, is, is a, probably a folklorist because, you know, so much of, of the, the uncanny and the unexplained and the strange that, that we deal with in, in these reports and this, uh, this brand of research, it crosses cultural parallels, uh, things that we've dealt with for, you know, hundreds of thousands of years, uh, you know, that literally that, that, that exceed our time here on this planet. You know, we can look at very point, you know, point in case, you know, case studies of things that occur right here, right now, or we could look at the kind of the longer the longer uh, progression of thought and folklore and, and mysterious happenings and things like that, strange beings and creatures throughout history. So, um, you know, not to, not to infer when I say folklore uh, that these things don't exist, but I think that, you know, looking at the accumulation of studies of the strange, you know, throughout history, I, I like that expression. And, and, you know, even Jacques Vallée and others have used that, too. All right, let's go back to Mothman. So Mothman is Mothmen, Mothwomen, and all sorts of strange creatures that were put into one bag. Yeah, quite possibly. Uh, you know, we, we have these, um, again, you know, these these reports of what very well may have been, you know, a terrestrial, uh, you know, rather, you know, a ground-based cryptozoological creature, something along the lines of a Bigfoot or a Sasquatch. And I have to actually jump in here and say real quick, uh, Chris certainly would know a good bit about this because this has to be none other than Chris O'Brien who authored Stalking the Tricksters. Am I correct? Uh, yeah. That's right, Chris. Yeah, so I, I've known you for years, and I was just reading your book the other day and uh, in, enjoying the many parallels uh, that, that that look at this sort of stuff uh, in that book as well. And and we see that you know again these sorts of creatures, Bigfoot. If you read Chris's book, or if you study you know what I put up on the Cradling Report and other places, you know they're, they're, these things are seen all over the place. I don't know exactly why that is. Uh, it, are we dealing with a physical phenomenon when I'm talking about a Bigfoot type creature or a an abominable swamp slob? <laughs> and, and I'll just Swamp booger. A swamp booger, yeah, you know, I mean, all these things. Skunk apes. Uh, we have different regional names for these creatures. Uh, is it something that is literally representative of, of physical creatures seen throughout the United States and, frankly, you know, throughout, uh, you know, the, the entire populated uh, world? You know, I've wondered sometimes if it is indeed entirely that. And I think that the reason why, because the thing is, is that there is, uh, despite what, what many uh, cynics and skeptics would tell you, there is a remarkable amount of physical evidence that supports the uh, notion that something is is occurring. Uh, you know, and, and uh, you know, I think that you, know, you can't fault folks like Jeffrey Meldrum and some of the better known cryptozoologists in academia, uh, you know, who go after these things uh, for anything perhaps but being passionate about what they go after. And, and, they're, and they're certainly, you know, enlivened by the thought that there might be something out there. And what happens to them? They're criticized, you know, and the rest of academia criticizes them and says, you know, you're crazy. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're talking about fairy tales here and you're trying to treat it like it's something real. You're going to lose your job. You're risking reputation. All these things. Nonetheless, these things are seen all over the place. Maybe then Point Pleasant was no different. 
uh, since we have these reports of the Ohio grass man and things like that, another regional term for a Bigfoot-type creature in the area, uh, it seems very likely, based on the witness descriptions, that uh, you know that there was some sort of a bipedal, maybe even ape-like creature that was being seen in the area around the time of the Mothman sightings. Let me ask you, though, is it possible that the disaster, the Silver Bridge disaster, is what brings so much attention to Mothman, otherwise it'd just be another anomalous thing? There's a good point uh, to be made there. Uh, first of all, I don't think that the Silver Bridge collapse was uh, directly in terms of anything other than maybe just, uh, you know, it was serendipitous or synchronistic that, you know, a disaster. And frankly, not just a disaster, one of the single greatest, uh, dis- what would you call, I guess it was one of the single greatest accidents in American infrastructure that occurred during the 20th century. I mean, the, the collapse of the Silver Bridge was singular in the sense that it, it caused us to really look at infrastructure, you know, bridges, buildings and things. And we had to say, listen, you know, we, we can't have this kind of thing occurring again. Uh, and I, I have friends from the Marietta, Ohio, and Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, Gallipolis areas there, those towns and everything. They remember uh, when that actually occurred, and they said that it was just a dark Christmas for everyone. It was terrible. So naturally, if there are reports of some sort of a mysterious being or a creature being seen in that area, people are going to infer, as John Keel did, that something you know had happened and that maybe – the creature's presence was was kind of an omen. It was indicative of something terrible to come. But personally, I, I don't know that, uh, you know, aside from the fact that, hey, something was seen and then a disaster occurred, uh, you know, I don't know that if we, if we could look at it empirically and say, well, yes, obviously the creature was responsible for that. And frankly, I think that Mothman's gotten a bad rap as a result of that. I think he's been blamed with something that <laughs> he, she, it, whatever it was, if there ever was one, may not have had anything to do with that. But it's certainly, it has certainly kind of kept it on the uh, Fortean record as an exemplary example of a of what I call a Fortean folk devil, you know, and if you look throughout history and, and instances where reports of strange creatures uh, are reported, many times people associate them with bad luck, whether it be, uh, you know, Jason Offutt talking about black-eyed children, uh, if you hear about what's called Walking Sam, this is very interesting. This one, Walking Sam, according to cryptozoologists, many refer to as kind of a colloquial term for Bigfoot in the American uh, Southwest among some of the uh, Native American tribes. Uh, Walking Sam is, to the contrary, described as being, you know, often clothed, wearing a stovepipe hat and being between 12 and 15 feet tall. He peers in windows at night, kind of like the mad gasser of, a, was, it, was it Mattoon, I think? Uh, we also can associate that with uh, spring Jack and some of these characters and things like that, you know, these creeps that peer in windows. This walking Sam entity is much the same sort of thing, and, and the native traditions hold that when this creature or this being appears, he uh, appears in conjunction with teen suicides and things like that. So a lot of the time, Fortean creatures, monsters, strange beings are associated with bad luck, but does that necessarily mean that they actually cause disasters? I don't know that we have the evidence to support that. You ever wonder, though, in some cases, maybe it is teenagers who are just playing pranks, peering in windows, wearing masks, just to scare up their friends? Yeah, absolutely. Of course, that has to happen. You know, I mean, when I was a kid, you know, I used to, you know, my friends and I, we'd dress like goblins and run around the neighborhood. And in fact, there's, there's a funny story. Uh, and he still in, does it, by the way. I want to make that. <laughs> I dress like a Graylian now, though, guys, you know. <laughs> but uh, w- when I was uh, when I was uh, just getting started in, in my paranormal research, you know, I um and, and I do believe I'm one of these people who's a proponent uh, like Chris is or or Eugene. But uh, I, I think that, you know, you need to get out there and uh, if you can be to some degree, 
you should be involved in field research, you know, as opposed to just pouring through, uh, you know, information and, 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 and the, the like that's, you know, gathered in books and on the Internet. Uh, by the same token, I think that people who are armchair researchers, as they call them, are given a bad rap because you have to be you have to have both the people who are out there who are digging through the field and, and, and cutting through the brush looking for evidence and also the people who are academics and who are willing to go. And look through microfilm and look through books and, you know, Internet archives, you know, spend late nights in university uh, libraries like I do uh, looking up, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, Eberhardt's Fortean Mystery Catalog or whatever or Jerry Clark's books on UFO catalogs and things. But the point I'm getting at here is that uh, when I was younger, uh, before I began to take a more scholarly kind of, uh, you know, and even a folkloric approach, as I've said, to this sort of study, sure, I wanted to get out there and I wanted to go ghost hunting and things like that. And I always tried to present myself well when I did so. And there's a well-known uh, ghost here in Asheville, North Carolina, where I live. It's called the Pink Lady, and she's said to haunt the historic Grove Park Inn Resort and Spa, uh, which is, if you've never been to Asheville and, and you do plan to visit, try and stay at the Grove Park Inn. It's a remarkable place. And it's allegedly haunted by many ghosts, but when I would go visit... Mini ghost is supposed to maxi ghost, or a mini me is a ghost. <laughs> All right, right, I'll get into this in a moment. Sure. <laughs> Micah Hanks joining us, Chris O'Brien's the co-host, I'm Gene Steinberg, you're in... The Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs convert from so many formats i can't even list them download now to see if graphic converter is good for you like one and a half million other users guess what you could save money when you buy graphic converter use the coupon code night owl use the coupon code night owl to get a special price for graphic converter go to lemkesoft.com that's l-e-m-k-e soft.com lemkesoft.com l-e-m-k-e soft.com Freedom, the blistering anti-globalist anthem from the rock band Ravelin. Back in ropes, have their tools. Just one of 11 great songs from the album Under the Sun. Available on iTunes and at Ravelin.com. R-A-V as in victory, E-L-Y-N, Ravelin.com. Spring and a new growing season are here. Plant a healthy garden easy and fast with OrganicaSeed.com. Easy because OrganicaSeed.com offers one of the largest online selections of organic, heirloom, non-hybrid, and untreated seeds, as well as tobacco and cotton seeds at low prices. Go to OrganicaSeed.com, spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-C-A-Seed.com. OrganicaSeed.com. Remember, OrganicaSeed is healthy seed. Never buy home canning jar lids again. 
No kidding. When you buy Tadler reusable canning lids once, you'll never buy canning lids ever again. Safely store emergency preparedness foods for years. Traditional metal lids are single-use throwaways containing BPA. But Tadler reusable canning lids are guaranteed to last a lifetime when used as designed for home canning. Tadler lids are made with a USDA and FDA-approved food-grade plastic, safe for direct food contact, and contain no BPA. Tadler lids are dishwasher safe, usable with standard pressure or water bath canning, eliminate food spoilage from acid corrosion, fit standard mason jars, are indefinitely reusable, and are proudly made in the USA. Place orders at reusablecanninglids.com or call 1-877-747-2793, 877-747-2793. Call 877-747-2793 or go to reusablecanninglids.com. That's reusablecanninglids.com for Tadler Reusable Canning Lids, the original since 1976. Will I have garlic breath after I take Ali C? We get that question all the time about the world's best garlic extract, Ali C. And the answer is, Ali C contains stabilized allicin, nature's antimicrobial agent, and the active ingredient in crushed garlic, but will not give you garlic breath. Scientifically proven in double-blind studies, using low doses of allicin greatly reduces the number, severity, and duration of common colds. Our powerful Ali C contains 300 milligrams of stabilized allicin. Just one tablet of Ali C is equivalent to 40 garlic cloves. It's effective against asthma. MRSA, bacterial, fungal, and viral infections, and helps lower high blood pressure and high cholesterol. Plus, it's a natural mosquito repellent. Boost resistance to infection with nature's best garlic extract, Ali C. For more information and to order Ali C, call 877-888-7126 or go to garlichealthproducts.com. That's 877-888-7126 or garlichealthproducts.com. Fight back with Ali C. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Music from our guest, Micah Hanks. He is publisher of the Graylian Report, writes books, does radio shows, and carries on about strange creatures of the day, of the night, of the weekend, during the week, and all that stuff. Chris, please pick up on the questioning. Well, Micah, you were talking about a, uh, a particular uh, spot there in Asheville. Uh, why don't you uh, give us a description, uh, just a brief history of, of this uh, aberration, and your experience, I guess, as a as a you know a new investigator, was this one of your first cases uh, that you attempted to investigate? Or yeah, it certainly was uh, because it was available to me. You know, I think that most people who begin this kind of research start getting uh, involved in investigations of, of phenomenon that uh, that occurs in their general locale. Uh, we have a number of uh, interesting uh, legends about ghosts seen in the area. The first, of course, and that's what I was talking about before the last break, was the Pink Lady of the Grove Park Inn. And and, and actually, to, to go back to something Gene had asked about during the last segment, he'd asked, uh, uh, you know, if I thought that reports of strange phenomena sometimes were, you know, maybe uh, accountable in terms of, you know, pranksters and teenagers putting on masks and peering in windows and things. When I began my research at Grove Park Inn years ago, before I'd even met my uh, my, my good friend, and uh, a few people do actually know this, he's my fourth cousin, Joshua P. Warren, who also lives here in Asheville. Joshua probably is the most prolific researcher to have studied the Pink Lady, but before I even met Joshua, and that 
case, arguably, actually, is the very one, the, the, the study of that, that, uh, that manifestation there at the Grove Park Inn, that was the one that probably brought Joshua and I together and into one another's uh, realm of, of knowledge and, 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 and hence, you know, years and years of uh, working together, studying this sort of stuff off and on. But Joshua had, had written about it in a book called Haunted Asheville. And so naturally, I would go up to Grove Park Inn and I would ask questions. I gathered a number of fascinating stories over the years from talking with people. And I would always wear a black suit, you know, a white shirt and a black tie. Sometimes I'd also wear an earpiece because when I would go throughout the hotel, I'd, I'd have I'd have friends, you know, who'd have walkie talkies and things like that. And they'd be in another part of the uh, the hotel. But we didn't want to be walking around and being so obvious about the fact that we had walkie talkies and that we were trying to kind of triangulate our efforts in various parts of the building. So, you know, I'd wear an earpiece. And of course, thinking that I wasn't going to be as I wasn't going to stand out like a sore thumb. Here I am dressed like an MIB. When I met Joshua years later, I was told of reports where people had said that they had seen MIBs lurking around the Grove Park Inn questioning people about the ghost. Yeah, so so I was a Fortean phenomenon uh, all to myself, and I didn't even know it. <laughs> I, but, I, got, I got busted. I was flying around videotaping in a two-man dark purple helicopter, and oh. I ended up actually being able to fly the thing uh, back to Crestone, a little town where we had, you know, where I live and where we had taken off from, and you know, he says, the pilot says, oh, yeah, you can go ahead and fly here. Just don't touch the pedals. Go ahead, have some fun. So I, I started uh, swooping down and bothering some cattle herds. And the next day I found out in an article in the Rocky Mountain News that the sheriff and a deputy were chasing across the valley after this mysterious black helicopter that was that was harassing cattle. Oh, so yeah. I, I, I can identify with you. <laughs> well, that's the funny thing is that when we put ourselves out there, we throw ourselves to the belly of the whale, so to speak. A lot of the time. Uh, you know, you you can end up blurring the boundaries between uh, you know what you're studying and and of course you know what's uh, <laughs> how you're perceived as in, in relation to that phenomenon. So, but getting back to the pink lady, the story is is very typical. You know, there was a a damsel who. You know, uh, there are various theories about her origin. You know, one that I think she was a lady of the night, one that she was a mistress of uh, the, the author uh, F. Scott Fitzgerald, uh, who had stayed and frequented, frankly, the uh, Grove Park Inn. Uh, some actually say that uh, the Pink Lady was actually the uh, the former wife of F. Scott Fitzgerald, Zelda Fitzgerald. And um, th there are just a number of different stories uh, to that origin, which, again, you know, I see that there's a folkloric aspect here. You know, a story is woven around this character to the point that I'd begun to think that maybe there was no ghost at all and that maybe it was a colorful story that was kind of, you know, perpetrated around the, the property. And maybe, maybe not with malicious intent or intent just to try and capitalize on there being a ghost. But, you know, over time, people tell stories and things and there was more of a legend than there was any fact uh, based around it. And then one night, one night I was up there at the Grove Park Inn, and I had a couple of friends with me who had some fantastic cameras. We'd been going around, and uh, we'd, we'd been taking photos throughout the building and just kind of, you know, having an evening up there walking around. I think we'd, you know, gotten a glass of iced tea, and we were just taking our time and strolling around. Well, the power goes out, and this is a very, very, very large building, I have to say, the Grove Park Inn. So here we are. The power goes out, and we're right up there outside room 545, which is so often associated with this mysterious pink lady. A little woman steps out of the room adjacent to 545, and she says, oh, you guys look like ghost hunters. And I said, yes, ma'am, we, we certainly are. <laughs> she told us that uh, she was visiting from that. Now, her accent seemed to be uh, obviously foreign, but she lived in Texas at the time, and she was with a group. They had visited uh, uh, North Carolina on a business trip, and she said, I have a, a strange ghost story I have to tell you about this room right next door to us. Now, we hadn't approached her and said, 
you know, you know, that room right there is associated with this hotel's most famous ghost. So she comes out and she tells us, I have this ghost story about this room next door. I've got to tell you guys. And we said, do tell. And we sit down. She offers us chocolate dipped straw, uh, strawberries. And we're sitting there in the dark. I think we might have had a candle. And she begins to tell us that the fellow who'd been staying in the room came to breakfast that morning. Uh, you know, he, he, he looked like he hadn't shaved. He just looked like he hadn't slept the night before. And they asked him, they said, Tom, what happened? What's going on? And he says, well, nobody would believe me, but I might as well tell you since you ask. I woke up in the middle of the night and I had tremendous pressure on my chest. I couldn't breathe. I was just having a devil of a time. And, and, I, and I woke up with this pressure on my chest. And I, the first thing I see are these ruffles of pink. And I look up into the face of a woman sitting on my chest. And she's gaunt. She has long silver hair. And she's just looking down at me. I'm thinking to myself, what in the world you know, who is this, this person? She's uh, obviously mental and has broken into my room. Here it is almost three o'clock in the morning. Before I could even say anything, the weight is lifted off my chest and she literally vanishes right there. Now, what's interesting about this case is that to my knowledge, this fellow had not known in advance that he was staying in a room associated with this ghost, nor did he have knowledge to the best of my ability to ask the, the person telling me this at the time nor did he have knowledge of there being a pink lady at the Grove Park Inn. However, he stayed the night in the room. He had this experience, and this experience with the weight on the chest and waking up and seeing an entity in the room with you is remarkably similar to uh, you know, in instances where sleep paralysis occurs or you know, devil riding your back, uh, night hag, this sort of phenomenon. So I thought that was very interesting that you know, of all things this man would occur, he sees a woman who – Interestingly, with the gaunt face, the long silver hair, that does not match the description of the pink lady. She's typically described as being a young woman with you know golden hair or sometimes she's a brunette. But either way, she's a young, very attractive woman in a pink gown. The pink ruffled dress was there, but this was an older looking woman. And she was indeed sitting on his chest, just like in a number of instances with sleep paralysis. So that got me thinking that maybe there was something more to the, the reports of this ghost seen there at the, uh, the Grove Park Inn. And indeed, you know, if you dig through the literature, there are a number of reports like that that don't just occur in that room, but occur throughout the hotel with, with a similar apparition. Well, you, you know, you bring up a good point there, uh, Mike. I, I've, I, too, have, uh, have, you know, investigated cases where you have a semblance of what you have associated with a particular phenomenon. You have a, you have a, a, a kind of a resemblance there, but then there is that personal bias that comes in in terms of the actual experience. And it tends to, I think, have hints, like you have just mentioned. It was a very good illustration of this point. You have hints of, of what has been reported uh, prior, but then there's this, this slant. There's this personal bias thing going on there. And uh, I think in haunted site investigations, one of the the really good things about them, I think, is because they they're not like UFOs. You don't have to go out chasing around hoping that they'll appear. Uh, you're dealing with a location specific scenario, mm-hmm. and uh, that's that's why I think haunted site investigations uh, could be a real shortcut. I think uh, for people who are interested in establishing uh, scientific data around paranormal type uh, events, I think uh, I think it's good that people are getting out there, but. One of the things that is a problem, I think, is is you have a lot of weekend warriors out there that are <laughs> that are going going out there and and uh, I, I just posted on uh, you know forum.paracast.com our, our our great forum boards a story about some ghost hunters in England that actually got scared out of a, a haunted site because they they got up close and personal with something that that uh, you know 
uh, I guess they weren't prepared for, and they ended up screaming from the building. So you have to be, it's, it's kind of a careful what you wish for scenario, I think, as well. So I think people need to undergo at least you know, basic training on, on how to properly conduct an investigation. And I think state of mind, um, attitude, you know, a sense of objectivity. And, you know, you have to not be easily shaken or you have to be in, in, unflappable uh, to a certain degree. We're getting flappable out. now. We're very unflappable right now. We're not going to flap around because we got to do this like break. Mothman. Exactly. <laughs> Mothman doesn't flop. Flap. It will be a flop if we flap. We want to hear from you. Yes, we do. If you have a comment or a question about the Paracast, write us. News at theparacast.com. Once again, news at theparacast.com. We read every single message we get. We have Micah Hanks. I'm Gene Steinberg. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. You're in the Paracast. <laughs> Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you own an Apple iPhone and love to listen to your favorite programs on GCN, I've got good news for you. I'm proud to announce that GCN has a brand new iPhone app available for our dedicated listeners at GCNlive.com. Listen to your favorite hard-hitting GCN programs live or on demand right on your iPhone. And the best part? The GCN iPhone app can be yours absolutely free. Download the iPhone app today by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. Hi, this this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. We're continuing here as we explore the strange, the unknown, the flapping, and the flipping. How about that? With Micah Hanks on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. Chris, why don't you pick up on the questioning? Well, what other uh, types of investigative work have you done out in the field? Uh, I know that you and, and Joshua have been involved in quite a number of investigations. What, what, what are the most memorable ones that uh, you've been personally involved with? Well, you know, I mean, I think that perhaps what we're best known uh, for, uh, together at least, is uh, the, uh, the, our research into the Brown Mountain Lights, which is a, uh, an Earth-like phenomenon seen here in the western North Carolina area. Um, granted, you know, Joshua and I, you know, see, I, I was a member of his, of his Lemur Paranormal Investigation team for a number of years. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm no longer uh, a member because, um, you know, I think, I think that we all go in different directions at some point. You know, Joshua, he, um, he has a laboratory and he's doing scientific work right now, which I heartily, heartily support. And, of course, you know, you can I think I think that there's uh, information about the Lemur Lab available on, online. If you just want to Google that, you can learn more about what Joshua and the Lemur team are doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I think that, you know, what, what I'm able and what I feel I'm able to lend to this uh, his field of study right now is trying to tie together. You know, I've, I've spent a lot of time, you know, out there in, in, the, in the field doing this sort of stuff, which we'll get to to answer your question here in a moment. Right now, I'm trying to look at at uh, cultural and 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 even you know psychological perspectives of this right now. And uh, and, and maybe we'll touch on this a little bit later. I've, I mentioned uh, this what I call the Fortean folk devil premise, which is something I've been kind of developing. And um, 
And I think that that's kind of where my research is going. So, again, you know, uh, Joshua and I, we've worked together off and on for a number of years. And and while he and and the the team are still working with the laboratory and and some of their individual investigations and things, you know, I'm kind of backing off. I'm looking at the the, the big picture right now and trying to tie together elements here and and, and see where this goes. Um, That said, uh, during our years working together, uh, Joshua and I probably are best known for working together on what was the Brown Mountain Research. Uh, of course, this was an accumulation of more than a decade, uh, you know, of combined research between he and I and several other individuals. And then uh, there were other organizations and teams like the Orion team based out of uh, Oak Ridge, Tennessee, that, that uh, you know, and this was, <laughs> as the name might entail, this w- did involve a, a number of researchers who were scientists there at the Oak Ridge facility. Uh, who who would visit Brown Mountain and try and study the phenomenon and try and understand exactly what was going on. So but without further ado, I'll, I'll tell you just a bit about Brown Mountain for you or the listeners who may not uh, you know be up to speed on this. There have been reports of, of self-contained, uh, you know, maybe roughly basketball to beach ball sized illuminations, but they're typically described as spheres of light that appear uh, within the vicinity of the Linville Gorge, uh, which is uh, probably right outside of a little town called Linville Falls, but between Linville Falls, Morganton, and, and then Boone north of there. Um, I've spent a lot of time throughout that region. I have seen on a couple of instances uh, some, some unexplainable illuminations, uh, a, a large red orb of light one evening erupted from out of the valley above uh, the Limville River. And my brother, a fellow by the name of Dr. Chris Blake, and an associate, uh, actually two other associates and I, uh, were on top of Table Rock, which is adjacent to Wiseman's View. Wiseman's View is probably the very best, in my opinion, the very best spot where you can actually view this phenomenon, the, uh, the Brown Mountain Lights. And I was there a number of years ago. Really? Oh, yeah. And so you can you can attest to it's uh, not only just, I mean, there being a fascinating location for viewing the, the phenomenon there, but it's also described as one of the most beautiful, you know, views on the eastern, uh, well, east of the Mississippi. So I hated uh, the drive up there, though. <laughs> the drive can be a little scary. If it's been raining, if it's foggy, or if there's any ice on the ground, you don't want to have to drive up there to, uh, to get to the lights. Unfortunately, I have uh, friends just outside of uh, the vicinity of Wiseman's View who own a, a hotel. And I don't think she'd mind giving uh, her name out right now because uh, we've gone on television programs before and talked about this. But Cindy Peters, a good friend of mine who has the Parkview Lodge, and I'm sure that if people want to contact Cindy, if they're interested in going up to the area and looking around and they don't want to have to drive all the way back to another one of the nearby towns, you can stay with Cindy and she'd love to have you. That, that said... I've spent a number of years up there observing. Uh, you know, I've, I've spent time with, uh, you know, some of the researchers like uh, Dan Caton, who is actually, he's a, a, an astronomer at uh, ASU University over in Boone. Uh, Dan's very cynical and, uh, and skeptical, and, and, he, and he'd tell you that. But I've spent time talking with Dan about this. I've spent time, uh, you know, with Joshua. And, of course, you know, to the best of our ability to discern what's going on up there, uh, you know, our, the accumulation of evidence and pouring over data, pouring over similar phenomenon that occurs around the world, like Hestel in Norway, and also there are reports of light seen near Marfa, Texas. The best that we can discern is that there's some sort of a plasma phenomenon that's occurring, some sort of a self-contained ball lightning-like manifestation, and that these are, in the truest sense, the, the, the term, you know, atmospheric phenomenon. But what is unique about them and what is captured not only our fascination and our and our imaginations for uh, you know more than a decade as well as many others is that these things do tend to appear i have friends as, as a matter of fact a very well-known uh, you know uh, photographer uh, from pennsylvania named bob ashmore who uh, contributed photos that he'd taken of these lights for an article i wrote for the journal of anomalous sciences a couple of years ago 
uh, that issue actually featured Joshua and I on the cover talking about our research into the Brown Mountain Lights. And so these things, they're not something that people, oh, it's kind of folklore. People talk about it and people, you know, claim that they've seen them. I mean, there are photographs, you know, there are, you know, probably hundreds if not thousands of witnesses that have actually observed these lights over the years. The, the mystery is we don't know exactly how self-contained spheres of light could appear and could hover in the air and, and, and what sort of energy source could cause these things to remain you know, glowing and bright and floating around in the sky. I mean, it's the damnedest thing. So that's what we're trying to understand. And that's, I think, something that, you know, it may be decades before we do understand the energy and the impetus behind what causes these manifestations. So natural so, phenomena. And I think there was a guy that we met years ago, Alan Greenfield and I went out to Brown Mountain Lights to see what was going on at Weissman's View. We didn't see anything unconventional. But there was a fellow in the town there, a Ralph Lale, I believe, mm. who was selling a book saying, of course, that the Brown Mountain Lights came here because of E.T., and he that's was a right. contactee. Did you meet Ralph, by the way? Yes, we did. Oh, wow. That's fascinating. You know, I only know a handful of people who, who knew him. Now, his, uh, he has a, a granddaughter, I believe, named Virginia, who I spoke to once uh, via email. And she had described going up to the uh, the Outer Space Rock Shop up there right. on Highway 181. Right. That probably is where you met Ralph. Am I correct? That is correct, yes. This is a long it, time ago in a galaxy far, far away. <laughs> It was myself, my first wife, Geneva, and Alan Greenfield. And then, no doubt, the alien mummy. Did you see the alien you mummy? You saw the alien mummy. We may have photographs somewhere. If I don't, I know Alan probably does. Maybe That's next time he's on the show. Tim Beckley also has uh, photographs that he had uh, shared with me. And then another gentleman from the area uh, said that he had some. To my, uh, and I'm sure if you, if you saw it, you may feel the same. There was actually a... Uh, I think that there was a, uh, oh, what was it? He was a kind of a frontier sideshow caterer of sorts. This fellow, I can't remember his name, but I, I wrote about it for UFO Magazine uh, last year sometime. There was a, an individual who actually would create these these little mummies. He would, he would use um, little parts from, this sounds really kind of gruesome and macabre, but he would find little parts of That's animals. That's my middle name, by the way. <laughs> macabre? <laughs> well, this and gruesome. For, and gruesome. gruesome I knew them well. <laughs> well, anywho, this uh, this fellow he he would gather little parts from animal corpses he would find out in the desert, and he would incorporate them into little mud mummies and things that he would make. What was this character's name? I'll, I'll have to dig it up and everything. I've got it all over the Grayling Report someplace. And again, An interesting hobby. It certainly was. This was. I, I should really dig this up. I think there's a website sideshowworld.com that has some information about this fellow. He would do a mail order catalog where you could order these little weird mummies, uh, and he had you know there's little Tarzan character. There was a little man from Mars, which is very uh, appropriate considering what we're talking about here with Ralph Lale having an alien mummy. And for the listeners who aren't familiar with the story of this alien mummy, Ralph Lale, of course, was one of the uh, the local characters that was seen around the Limbo Gorge area. He kind of capitalized on the, the Brown Mountain Lights myth and said that they were aliens from outer space, uh, specifically, I think, from the planet Pwam. And, uh, and, and he also said that he had a, a, a being uh, that was laying in a little coffin that he kept in the back of his shop, which Eugene uh, said that you had uh, visited visit and actually been able to see, along with other researchers. Uh, to the best of my understanding, this uh, was probably Homer Tate was his name. Homer M. Tate 
was this guy who would collect, you know, bits of mud and scraps and things like that, little teeth and bones from animals, and he would incorporate these into these little mummies he would make, and he'd ship them off to you using mail order catalogs, and people who had little kind of side shows and little roadside museums and things like that would buy these things and, you know, uh, feature them as curiosities and attractions in their, in their little shops and their little traveling circuses and things, God knows what. So This um, is before we had all the online businesses taking over that kind of thing. We have Micah Hanks, and he's not a sideshow. He has the Graylian Report and lots of other stuff. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast. Have you been sitting on a few great domain name ideas but haven't locked them in for yourself? Good. Now you can buy them through the number one domain name registrar, Namecheap.com, as voted by the top tech blog Lifehacker. Just like the name says, you can buy domains cheap, as low as $2.99. And every new domain comes with WhoisGuard, our special privacy service, free for the first year. Now that you know, it's time to grab those domain names before someone else does. Namecheap.com. Go now. Namecheap.com. Fate Magazine provides true reports of the strange and unknown. Keep up with the latest on angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, life after death, and much, much more. To receive your free issue of Fate Magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Dr. David Berry has provided excellent advice for all those interested in practical economics and sound money. It's certainly worth reading. That's what Congressman Ron Paul said about Cha-Ching Wisdom, 123 Practical Universal Truths About Money, the new book by Dr. David Berry. The cool part of this book, certainly it'll speak to you personally, your life, your lifestyle, your, your money, your investments, but it also can be generalized into the nation. What's going on as a nation? We do these same things as, personally that we do as a nation. Dr. Berry's book, Cha-Ching Wisdom, presents many facets of your relationship with the once almighty dollar and how current national and international politics affect your daily life. Some of the other things are about that. They're not just uh, economic, they're philosophical. There's psychology involved in this book. There's philosophy involved in this book. Read Cha-Ching Wisdom by Dr. David Barry, only $9.95, available at chachingwisdom.com. That's C-H-A-C-H-I-N-G wisdom.com. Chachingwisdom.com. On the average, Americans work between 45 to 50 years hoping to build up enough wealth to retire and live out their golden years. Unfortunately, with taxation, the rising cost of food, energy, housing, and medical, many retirees are forced to live below the poverty line. Is this a flaw free enterprise, or is our monetary unit we call the Federal Reserve Note forcing us into perpetual debt, ensuring inflation and higher taxes? These questions and more can be answered by reading G. Edward Griffin's book, The Creature from Jekyll Island. Congressman Ron Paul states it's what every American needs to know about central bank power. A gripping adventure into the secret world of international banking cartel. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. I will give a silver dollar from the early 1900s to anyone who purchases this book. Call 1-800-686-2237 and order a copy today. It's critical that the public be made aware of the system. Call and order your copy today at 1-800-686-2237. That's 1-800-686-2237. 
The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG Clubs and Survival Bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze-Dry Guy Clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze-Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze-Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze-Dry Guy, the best you can buy. The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. G-C-N. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And if you want to catch up on past episodes, we have hundreds of shows for you to download direct from theparacast.com. That's theparacast.com. Or check us out on iTunes. I'm Gene Steinberg on the Paracast with Chris O'Brien, the co-host. Micah Hanks, our guest. And Micah is the kind of person that you say, go. And he continues. You don't need (laughs) any prodding. So we were talking about that visit to Brown Mountain Lights to see what was going on. I think we almost thought we saw something, but I think it might have been aircraft or something. You know, mm-hmm. nothing spectacular. I kind of thought of the scene in Close Encounters of the Third Kind where you have all the sky watchers out there looking for UFOs out there in the country. And Richard Dreyfus is there as well. He had hair and he wasn't overweight and didn't play Dick Cheney in the movies. <laughs> and you see something coming over, but you hear a sound and it's just a helicopter or, or plane or something conventional. So we never had the honor of seeing anything weird. And we have, you know, characters like Ralph Lale around the country. I guess he's the kind of person who, if you don't take him seriously and you kind of enjoy what he has to say, it's entertaining, has the entertainment value. Gene, I think one thing that we need to uh, uh, point out and stress is, is the Brown Mountain Lights have been reported for, for how long? What, what are the earliest references that you've been able to find to the lights? I know it goes back into the late 18th century, if, I, if I'm not uh, I might be miscorrect on that. but No, I think you're, you're right. There, there are maybe earlier reports, and the reason I say maybe is because you've got to keep in mind, of course, Native Americans, specifically the Cherokee that were present here uh, in western North Carolina, and for all we know maybe cultures that you know existed you know prior to the Cherokee arrival here in the uh, in the southeast. There were always oral traditions that describe these sorts of phenomena. Now the only ones that we have available to us are these these most recent native legends that describe you know spirits. I think that there was a um, a uh, interpretation of the legend. And again, this is where the folkloric aspect kind of comes into a lot of this. Although there are absolutely without question strange illuminations that appear at Brown Mountain, which I don't think are UFOs, and I don't think that they are spirits of the dead or anything like that. Again, I think that these are, you know, atmospheric phenomena akin to ball lightning. 
but we have folklore throughout the region, and these early reports, based on that cultural interpretation, describe them as spirits, you know, spirits of the dead that had actually remained in that area after a great battle that took place in the Limville Gorge. That was one of the early native interpretations, as I understand it. And then there were reports that came later of, I think there was a German scientist who uh, was said to have come through the area, maybe even during the uh, the late 1700s, and, and certainly by the early 1800s, and they were they were cataloging and describing, uh, you know, reports of uh, illuminations that were seen there around the area. So indeed, yeah, this is something that we've we've uh, you know we have knowledge of and have had knowledge of, um, you know, for as long as settlers have have actually existed throughout the region, and there are cultural oral traditions that describe these things that exist for even longer than that. Uh, I, I seem to recall, I think it was about a year, year and a half ago, that somebody posted on the internet some footage uh, that allegedly showed uh, manifestations of this particular phenomenon. I showed it uh, to a couple of people, and and one of the people said, oh, well, that's obviously somebody pointing a laser. You know, there was some sort of laser refraction going on. Are you familiar with that footage? Uh, I think it was taken about a year and a half ago. You know, surprisingly, I I am not familiar with that, and I, I would love to see it because you yeah, know, obviously, I have, to, I have to dig it up. I'm not sure if Joshua was was there or not. I think he may have been uh, present at the time. So, if that was the case, then that that would be uh, pretty strong evidence to me that this was not some sort of premeditated hoax of any kind. Because um, you know, I've met Joshua, and I'm, I'm familiar. Uh, somewhat with his work and, and very familiar with his reputation. I mean, he is a straight shooter as as well as, as you are. And yeah. I, I don't think that we would be dealing with a hoax scenario. But, but one of uh, the, the people that I showed it to is uh, fairly observant and uh, is a, a pretty good amateur now, uh, analyst. And, and that was the first thing that they thought is that uh, we're dealing with a laser that's somehow being pointed at, at the lens or refracted into the lens somehow. I, I personally felt that, that that wasn't the case looking at the footage. I will try to dig that up and shoot it off to you, and Actually, I'll make it available online. Chris, uh, let me ask you, was this uh, was this used, uh, the footage you're talking about, was it night vision and there's a red uh, yes. light? Oh, that actually is something. Now, okay, I do know what you're talking about. Joshua Warren and I were both actually present when that was made. Oh, you that, were there? Okay, cool. That, so, yeah, yeah. I was so impressed I, by that myself. Um, I can certainly I, tell you, yeah, that, that that was no in no way a hoax. In fact, I, I, let me just tell you real quickly about the background with, with regard to that. And it's funny because, see, when, when you talk about a, an illumination, I thought that, you know, this was a video. I'm, I'm imagining something that was filmed with a little a handy camera or something like that that somebody, uh, you know, filmed and this was posted online. That, that footage actually appeared on a uh, National Geographic program that Joshua and I were both part of. It was called Paranatural. Uh, it, it was a year ago this past October, and uh, we had we'd gone down to Wiseman's View with this National Geographic film crew, and uh, we, we went up there, and of course, you know how it is when you do television. You know, we're all wired up, and we're, you know, carrying more, you know, electromagnetic field detection equipment and, and, and Geiger counters and all kinds of stuff that our, our arms can almost carry. But we, we trudge up there, and uh, we had a fellow named Dean Worsing, who is a specialist with night vision equipment, and he uh, came down for that shoot to join us. And we spent a lot of time up there that night observing. Now, I saw a few things. I even have some photographs that we uh, that we took utilizing some of the night vision equipment uh, that evening that I've posted on the Grayland Report, which I personally do not believe are anything but... Uh, conventional aircraft that we couldn't see with the naked eye because of the cloud cover that evening. However, the dim light that was present, nonetheless, you know, when when viewed through the uh, the uh, the light enhancing uh, night vision equipment that we were using, allowed us to be able to see these things much more clearly. Now, the the object in question that you're talking about is very strange because what what had happened was we did have a conventional handycam camcorder that was hooked up to military grade night vision uh, goggles that that we had obtained and that Dean Worsing owned as we were filming. 
this, uh, I think it was Hawksbill, which is the, 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 the large mountain outcropping adjacent to what's called Table Rock, both of which are visible there from the Limville Gorge at Wiseman's View, where we were stationed. This light appears and can move through the air. Uh, it's red, and you see this thing moving. Uh, it's, it's strange that it's red because through the night vision, typically we don't see color. Uh, in a subsequent analysis that, that one of the lemur investigators did, we found that if there is a very intense plasma that is present, sometimes, yes, indeed, uh, the presence of a very intense plasma can cause colored differentiations to occur even visible through the night vision. I was very skeptical of that footage myself, and I will tell you that. And frankly, I think that you know my dissenting opinion about that caused a little friction there for a while between Joshua and I because, you know, I mean, hey, we went up there, we filmed something. It's an anomaly. It certainly is an anomaly because we don't know what it is. But being, you know, very rationally skeptical like I am, I looked at that and I, I was very uh, discerning and I, I was quick to jump to any conclusions that we had captured an anomaly in the sense that this was one of the brown mountain lights or some sort of a plasma. Now, it could be that. And I can certainly tell you that there were no red laser pointers in use that evening. I think that there may have been, uh, I think that the National Geographic folks may have had some sort of a laser device, but that wasn't being used. And, and the reason what, that we weren't using at the time that we were filming is because that kind of an, an item only would have contaminated evidence that we were hoping to try and, and capture. So I can, I can assure you that that was not in use. But yes, I was present the night that that video in question was made. And although, you know, the verdict remains out, uh, I couldn't tell you what it is. Well, it's the first time I've ever seen uh, a, a ruby red color <laughs> in a night vision uh, mm-hmm. uh, footage. Uh, th- that fact alone, I, I thought was striking. But uh, yeah, g- good, good to know that you were there and you can uh, sort of give us kind of a blow by blow account of the, uh, the actual uh, trip that you guys took up there. More mysteries coming. We have Micah Hanks. The publication he has is called The Grayling Report. He also has a radio show he'll tell us about. Everybody I know from North or South Carolina has a radio show. It's amazing. I go on a computer show <laughs> called Craig Crossman's Computer America, and he has a home in North Carolina. There you go. I said, imagine that. <laughs> there you go. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Ray Perkins, a reclusive veteran burned out from the Gulf War, lives tortured by relentless, perplexing nightmares. Nightmares of a horrific battle in deep space and of a mysterious woman suffering in agony for her devastated world. A woman not yet born, calling across centuries to him. Then, a coincidence leads him to his destiny, his chance to alter the universe. Attack! Attack! Of the Rockwells. The former fiction editor for Star Wars and Indiana Jones, Robert Simpson, writes, The soul of the novel Attack of the Rockoids lies in its heart and passion for building a convincing tale of a love that spans a galaxy. A thrilling story. Attack, Attack of the Rockoids is available now. Read a sample chapter and get a special discount off of the cover price at our website, rockoids.com. That's R-O-C-K-O-I-D-S dot com. Attack, Attack. Of the Rockwell, a novel in the grand science fiction tradition. <clears throat> Sore throat? Spray that with Dermatol. <laughs> Diaper rash? Spray that with Dermatol. Ouch! Burn or cut? Spray that with Dermatol for shockingly fast relief. If you had room for only one first aid product in your preparedness kit, you need Dermatol because it works on almost every skin irritation or injury. All natural Dermatol brings amazing relief to burns, cuts, scrapes, bites, boils, shingles, rashes, elderly skin tears, even chronic diabetic ulcers and bed sores. Dermatol is an all natural antimicrobial, antiviral, and antifungal wound cleanser that speeds healing with no side effects, is safe for all ages and skin types, and is even safe 
safe enough to spray on sore throats or onto sore eyes. Read our many testimonials at Dermatol.com, spelled D-E-R-M-A-T-O-L.com. Order online at Dermatol.com or call 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. Effective, efficient, economical. Spray it all with Dermatol. The U.S. economy is at a tipping point. 40 cents of every dollar the government spends is borrowed. The president of the Federal Reserve in Dallas was recently quoted saying, this path will lead to insolvency, resulting in the collapse of our government and our economy. Our country can't function like this, and neither can your household. That's why you need to prepare, and priority one is your food supply. Fortunately, it's easy and affordable with the help of Ready Reserve Foods. Ready Reserve Foods has been a premier supplier of long-term storable foods for 37 years. Their unique process assures the highest quality long-term food storage available with a 25-year shelf life. A full-year supply of quality food for two people costs a fraction of what you pay at the grocery store. For a free, full-color catalog, call 800-453-2202. That's 800-453-2202. Or visit readyreservefoods.com. Ready Reserve Foods, making preparedness simple since 1972. Hi, I'm Mark Craighead, founder of Crossbreed Holsters. I designed our top-selling holster, the Super Tuck Deluxe, to solve the problems of being poked, pinched, and gouged while carrying concealed. The Super Tuck Deluxe is the most comfortable, most concealable holster on the market today. We offer a two-week free trial and a lifetime warranty. Visit us at crossbreedholsters.com. Don't forget, CrossBreedHolsters.com. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. Have you ever wondered why banks, stockbrokers, investment advisors won't talk about gold IRAs? They've been available since 1986, yet the financial industry won't recognize the value of gold for your retirement. Gold has outperformed paper investments, yet no word about IRAs. If you would like to have gold for your retirement, call 800-686-2237. Don't get left behind by rising inflation and low returns. Call 800-686-2237. Secure your future and call 1-800-686-2237. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. This is Leslie Kane, and I'm with the Coalition for Freedom of Information, and you are listening to the Paracast. We have Micah Hanks joining us. Chris O'Brien's the co-host. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in the Paracast as we wind down the second half of our session with Micah. So what is it that that everybody has radio shows if they live in North Carolina? (laughs) Something like that, you know, because here's the funny thing. And actually, Chris and I became acquainted when he contacted me through Facebook a few years ago. And his his excellent book, Stalking the Tricksters, had just come out. And he said, hey, I'll send you a review copy. and Maybe you can get me on Joshua's program because Joshua Warren, living here in Asheville, has a Saturday night radio program he does called Speak. Of Strange with Joshua P. Warren. Of course, I was the producer of that radio program for a number of years. Um, there was an instance where, and I would fill in for Josh a lot on that program when he would be out traveling, sometimes more than twice a month when he got really busy in the summer months. And I contacted Chris and just said, hey, Chris, come on the program, man. I mean, you know, I, I would be doing the interview, but if you want to come on, we'll, we'll get you on the show. So that's how I became acquainted with Chris. And right. We've been friends ever since. So although I haven't been in touch that much recently, it's, it's good to, to, to be reacquainted with you, and, and we'll certainly stay in touch again after this. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah, because I respect your work a lot. And I was reading your book the other day thinking, I need to touch base and see how he's been. So, but that okay. said, uh, yeah, absolutely. But, but, but that said, of course, and see, now look, you're doing a radio program also. See, <laughs> so, see, we all do radio. But, you know, I think what's neat about radio is that it's a disease, the, by the way. You think you get over this disease. Oh, yes. Uh, well, that's radio. Exactly. You think, you know what? I have the radio disease. I've got to get over this. You know, I've got to get out there and get a life. And guess what happens? You get another program. <laughs> you do. Yeah. And that's exactly what's going on. And, and in my regard, you know, the situation was that I filled in for a number of years for Joshua when I worked uh, in radio here in the region. And I formally uh, left working in, in radio in this area. But then immediately after that, I, I linked up with a, a, a fellow out in Norman, Oklahoma, who, uh, who was hosting a program for me called the Micah Hanks Radio Program there for a while. And now, actually, at present, because, again, my schedule is ridiculous, um, I had to, uh, you know, essentially kind of put a hiatus on that program because, and here's the issue, you know, when you're doing a live radio program, uh, you know, you are bound to a certain time slot on a weekly or a daily basis. At one point, I was offered, you know, to do that program daily, although I, I love radio enough to be able to do that. Right now, unfortunately, especially in these economically woeful times, I mean, you know, there's so much uh, else that has to occur in order to make ends meet and keep bread on the table, uh, as, as you guys know, and as you'll be hearing, some of the listeners will be hearing, you know, with some musics, uh, the music that will be sampled during the program. I perform uh, in a couple of bluegrass bands in the Western North Carolina region, and I travel throughout South Carolina and down to Georgia and Tennessee, all you know the surrounding states, performing on the weekends and things. And so it's become increasingly difficult for me to commit to a single time slot for a radio program, unless, of course, you know, I get offered something that pays the big bucks. That's what we all want. But in the meantime, I if think they wave a check, you'll say, you know what, I'll take a few years off. Well, what, what it is is if they wave a check, I can I can commit to giving one day a week that you know I I would do that, which I would love to do. I mean, you know, as a matter of fact, I mean, you know, I've got a, a, a you know a broadcast facility here, you know, that, that, that that's uh, suitable for. Uh, you know, streaming uh, audio on the web uh, right now. And I've got this wonderful MXL V900 microphone that I'm talking into right now, which helps, uh, you know, accentuate my, my natural bassiness. <laughs> of course, we all yeah. have a natural bassiness. It gets deeper as we get older. Yes, when it, it becomes so deep, it gets gruff, like we're speaking <laughs> like... Release the Kraken. That's my only invitation. <laughs> could get worse, though. I mean, it could go the opposite direction. It'd sound like Yoda when you get older. Mm. But um, in, <laughs> you in do my that case, better than one of oh, Chris's man, you predecessors. Oh, man, well. Fear yeah. leads to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to the dark side. But Master Yoda, I'm not afraid. Mm. You will be. Isn't that terrifying? <laughs> in more ways than you know. Yes, most certainly. But but e either way, the Micah Hanks program hopefully will be soon revived as a podcast. And the primary reason for that is because, uh, you know, there's such demand for podcasts these days. When I worked in radio, this is something. And Gene, you know, I'm sure that you, you hear about this a lot also, you know, doing hosting two programs, one of them being oriented around technology. You know, in radio for years, we fought against the fact that people had iPods, you know, and, and then there's also satellite radio and things like that. There are so many alternatives to just turning on the radio and listening. Now, the great thing about radio is, you know, if you're driving in your car, you can pop that on and it's free. But a lot of people with the accessibility of information and technology and the ability to download audio, a lot more people these days are downloading stuff, burning it on CDs or putting it on their iPods or their iPads for that matter. Well, their cell phones. Heck, you know, you can put this stuff on your smartphones now and you can take audio with you that if it was recorded at some given time, you can listen to it at a later date at your leisure. 
And the number one question, every time I'd get on the air and do a radio show, people would email me constantly saying, yeah, it didn't feel like tuning in, man. Had I was having a barbecue with the kids. But where's the podcast available for download? Well, when you're doing radio, of course, you know, you can use all the uh, all the copyright, you know, copyrighted music that you want to if you've got the certification to be able to do that, which we, we had through DCIX, uh, the, the station that was carrying the program. Uh, if you're doing a podcast, sometimes that stuff can get a little tricky and everything, but nonetheless... Uh, you know, if you if you uh, you know if you go about it legally and responsibly, you know you can provide content that people can download and uh, and and enjoy. And and the demand for that these days is so great that I think that you know once once I get things back together, it's going to be the Micah Hanks podcast or the Graylian Report podcast, where you know people can have something to download and and take with them. There is something to be said about that. And we and have a, I- an interesting setup here with our show. Mm-hmm. The Paracast started out being available online from our site downloadable as a podcast through iTunes, etc. for your iPad, your iPhone, even your Android phone. We don't mention those. Yeah. But then we join the GCN network, and we have the double-triple distribution. We are on traditional radio, growing number of stations. We're heard on their site. So if you go to GCNlive.com, you could hear the show then. In fact, when you hear the live player on our site, you're basically going to their site. And then you can check out their other shows. You can also have an iPhone application an Android application that you can download and hear any of their network shows. So we're available in traditional terrestrial radio, online, and maybe soon satellite. We'll see what happens. Good luck with that also. I, I certainly enjoy this program. power everywhere. <laughs> it needs to be everywhere. This is a great show. And I can say that because, you know, I'm, I'm not a host. I've been on before in the past, but I enjoy the program. Whether or not I'm a guest, I think it's fantastic. And I certainly wish you guys the very best with that. Thank you. Thank you very much. Let's get back to the strange, the unknown, the mysterious and all that yeah, kind of let, creature. I, I've been uh, just dying to ask you about uh, this wonderful book uh, that, that came out uh, a little over a year ago that you wrote called Magic Mysticism and the Molecule. Um, really right down my alley as, you know, I think it's, it's, uh, it's an excellent uh, work. And I really would like to, to dive into this subject a little bit because I think that... Um, it, it exemplifies what what I think needs to happen uh, in in the field of paranormal investigation and research, and that is we need to get people like yourself uh, who are open minded and willing to look at folklore, at cultural um, the cultural side of this uh, this whole subject, and and really look at it with a, a new fresh uh, pair of eyes and a, maybe a new a new prescription uh, pair of glasses and your book i think your book uh, does an excellent job in that uh, in that regard i think it's it's very timely um, i do recommend it let's talk about it a little bit uh, how did you first of all give us a little overview of of the book and, and, and what prompted you to um, actually write it. And, uh, and then also comment about uh, being very upfront about your own experimentation in this realm and, and how, how that, those efforts dovetail uh, into your, you know, your paranormal investigation work. Yeah, those are very, very good questions. And, and thank you for that, Chris. Um, with magic mysticism and the molecule, the funny thing is, is that I grew up uh, studying the, the writing of, of the likes of Charles Fort, uh, I loved Ivan T. Sanderson. Uh, and of course, uh, much later, you know, I, I learned of, uh, you know, the multitude of, 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 you know, fine researchers out there and, and chroniclers of this kind of data. Lauren Coleman, who has probably been one of the most influential on my own writing and, and discriminating research, you know, not just saying, okay, this person says this, and so I'm going to take that at face value. I really learned from Lauren Coleman to ask difficult questions. And it's funny because, you know, now I'm friends with so many of these people. Lauren emailed me this morning. Uh, we've been good friends for years. Uh, Brad Steiger, 
Carter, you know, sends me a lot of his books to read and things like that. Uh, and what's funny is that the kinds of books that Lauren or that, that Brad Steiger would write, you know, typically deal with, you know, cryptozoological creatures or maybe UFOs and, you know, things like that or ghosts. Uh, I enjoy these books immensely, and I'm really bad to dive into three or four of them at one time, partially because I just enjoy reading this sort of thing and the other, uh, and also because, you know, I make a living writing and, and studying these sorts of things, but also because because I review these books for folks and post these reviews at various different websites and things like that, including I'll my tell you what, we'll report. have to get into that in a moment. Those reviews, sure. those reports, so much more to come. Micah Hanks is the guest. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and Pro Flowers is offering an amazing special. 100 stunning blooms for mom, plus a free glass vase for just $19.99. Go to proflowers.com, look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner, and enter the secret code MANY. But hurry, this incredible deal expires this Friday. Flower prices will skyrocket next week. Order now from Pro Flowers to get huge savings. You pick the delivery date, and it's guaranteed. 100 colorful blooms for mom sent fresh from the fields, guaranteed to stay fresh and beautiful for at least a full seven days for only $19.99. And we'll include a free glass vase with every order. Remember, flower prices can double, even triple Mother's Day week. And this incredible special expires Friday. The only way to get this amazing deal is to visit proflowers.com. Look for the radio microphone in the upper right corner and enter the secret code MANY. Go to proflowers.com. Secret code MANY. That's proflowers.com. Code MANY. Freedom, the blistering anti-globalist anthem from the rock band Ravelin. Back in thrones, have their Just one of 11 great songs from the album Under the Sun. Available on iTunes and at Ravelin.com. R-A, V as in victory, E-L-Y-N, Ravelin.com. Spring and a new growing season are here. Plant a healthy garden easy and fast with OrganicaSeed.com. Easy because OrganicaSeed.com offers one of the largest online selections of organic, heirloom, non-hybrid, and untreated seeds, as well as tobacco and cotton seeds at low prices. Go to OrganicaSeed.com, spelled O-R-G-A-N-I-C-A-Seed.com. OrganicaSeed.com. Remember, OrganicaSeed is healthy seed. We all need to prepare ourselves. You might have the food, water, gold, and silver, but ask yourself, are you truly prepared? That's why you need to visit MainMilitary.com. MainMilitary.com carries everything you need. Gas masks, wool blankets, fire starter kits, high-capacity magazines, chemical suits, military surplus items, and much more. Do you own a firearm? MainMilitary.com has a large selection of pistols and rifles suited for your needs. Are your local stores sold out of ammunition? Call or visit them today for prices on hard-to-find ammo and bulk ammo orders. You don't need to worry about having a military surplus store in your area because MainMilitary.com is the only store you'll ever need, all from the comfort of your computer. Visit them online today at MainMilitary.com. That's Maine, like the state, Military.com. Or call them at 1-877-608-0179. That's 1-877-608-0179. 
We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years and serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System today, complete with two black Berkey elements for only $231, and the Berkey Guy will ship your order free of charge. With the purchase of a Berkey Light, the Berkey Guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only $39.99. That's over 30% off the retail price. Call the Berkey Guy at 1 886 3653. That's 1 886 3653. Or order online at goberkey.com. That's goberkey.com today. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network. Music from our guest, Micah Hanks. All right, let's continue with all the stuff that you've investigated. And we've covered cryptids, weird creatures, stuff like that. Now, any of the stuff have a UFO, outer space, interdimensional connection, do you think? Well, yeah, I certainly do. And and, and kind of going back also to what, what Chris had asked about, he asked about my book. Um, that The book deals with a lot of that. And and frankly, I think that when you – the key word there is uh, interdimensional, Gene – because uh, I think that with, without getting into a really, 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 really in-depth discussion of, of physics and the like, you know, some of this phenomenon is so strange that it can only be interpreted as one of two things. You know, cultural interpretation of what really would amount to psychological aberrations or the actual valid and real physical, at least in some sense, presence of something that is an interdimensional presence. Uh, you know, I, w- I was mentioning, I think, Lauren Coleman and Brad Steiger during the last segment and studying their research. Um, a lot of these reports and these researchers, uh, you know, deal in case studies, which are absolutely relevant and necessary in the field. And so, you know, everyone wants to try and make their own, claim their own stake in, in, in this brand of research and, uh, you know, and, and try and hopefully come up with new, uh, exciting information or, or at very least uh, different interpretations of existing information, you know, that tries to better understand the reality of the situation. That's almost impossible because, you know, we as humans really can't even define reality. And anymore, uh, you know, in addition to kind of looking at things in a folkloric sense, I also look at things very philosophically. You know, what beyond the scope of the five senses, you know, and what they tell us as individuals, what do we really know? What can we discern? What does logic, you know, through observance tell us? about this strange phenomenon. We know that people are either really good liars and they're really bored or that something, at least in a number of circumstances, you know, reported every year, uh, every day around the world for that matter, you know, something does occur, several somethings. How does it pertain to UFOs, aliens, and interdimensionals? Well, it's funny because, you know, I've studied UFOs, aliens, interdimensionals, cryptozoological monstrosities my entire life. You'd think I'd sit down and write about a book about Bigfoot or UFOs. And when I wrote Magic Mysticism and the Molecule, I don't think I was conscious, which is funny because I'd sum up the, the subject matter in that book is, is centering around primarily altered states of consciousness and, and what causes those and what they mean. 
um, I don't think I was conscious at the time that I began writing that book uh, where my mind and my interpretation of strange phenomenon was actually going. It was almost as though it was the subconscious was leading itself. And now I'm seeing, you know, so many startling perspectives with regard to all this. I think that, you know, as I've mentioned several times, that there is something folkloric about this and that there's something that is based largely on cultural interpretations of phenomenon, you know, as seen over time. And, and, and you know, basically the meaning that we attribute to that, whether or not that meaning actually exists in a conventional or at very least a humanistic sense. On the other hand, I think that there are actual physical manifestations that occur. The only way that some of these could be explained, well, maybe not the only way. But I, th- I think that certainly, though, uh, that uh, you know, a, a more realistic way that we could explain, for instance, some of the erratic behavior of UFOs and things like that, could be in terms of a, an interdimensional phenomenon. Um, I love the old the old uh, explanation. Carl Sagan used this a lot: the description of flatland, where we have a two dimensional plane, and imagining how two dimensional beings would interpret three dimensional creature as it intercepted their second dimensional flatland. Another great example. Example is a horseshoe-shaped creature intersecting a one-dimensional plane. Imagine just a straight line where a one-dimensional creature bounces back and forth along that line. He's got a really lame kind of kind of boring existence. And then a horseshoe-shaped creature intersects. He's a two-dimensional creature. He has both length and height, we'll say, uh, dimensional qualities to him. And as he intersects that one-dimensional plane, we see that the horseshoe shape intersects that one line in two places. How would the one-dimensional creature interpret that? Does he see two? separate instances of something appearing before him when we know that we can see from a from a three-dimensional perspective this is a a 2d creature that's shaped in such a way that he intersects that one line in two instances so what are we dealing with you know are ufos akin to something like that where in a third dimensional state of being like we are something from another dimension literally could intercept our reality and appear as something maybe that is not exactly what it is. It's only how we are able to interpret it from our from our perspective. To illustrate this, there's that famous uh, case of Dr. X, which I think was from Italy in the, uh, oh, I think it was the 1950s or 60s. The individual was apparently healed after he was kind of blasted by a ray of light. Um, he was healed of a war injury when, when this beam of light blasted him from a flying saucer that appeared. But when he stepped out onto his balcony, uh, responding to a light that he had seen through the blinds in the distance. He steps out on his balcony. He describes seeing two flying saucers, two disc-shaped craft hovering side by side, and they come together. They merge into one, and then they kind of come forward, and it tilts up on its axis and blasts him with this light and takes off. It's a very famous case, and there were photographs taken of these strange marks that appeared on the doctor's body in in, in the aftermath of this uh, sighting. He also suffered from another uh, a number of strange hallucinations, where you know he he was followed by government in you know uh, or maybe not government, but essentially the traditional MIB type characters who introduced him to alien beings and all these kinds of things. And he would have bouts of memory loss and all kinds of strange things that weren't entirely physical. But I thought that it was interesting that this report described how an, a, an alien craft literally appeared as two separate vehicles that merged together into one and it reminded me very much of that idea of you know a one-dimensional creature meeting a single object on a two-dimensional from a two-dimensional plane and it, interpreting it as two things two creatures maybe existing in two separate spaces when in reality we know it's just one maybe a lot of the things that we observe ufo craft doing the erratic behavior the zigzagging the tremendous 
travel of uh, you know at tremendous speeds, uh, blinking out and disappearing and then reappearing in the same spot you know minutes if not you know hours later. All these sorts of strange things may be indicative of the way that UFOs behave as they are intercepting our reality, our third dimensional state of being. So I certainly think that you know it's hard for people to grasp that these things behave and act the way that they do and the strange things and often almost nonsensical behavior attributed to uh, to, uh, flying saucers and the like, it could be very much uh, indicative of of something interdimensional like you'd propose. And and another thing that kind of springs to mind when you mentioned the Dr. X case, which I think uh, Jacques Vallée did a very good job uh, investigating that. I think, uh, I'm not sure which book it's in. It might be in uh, Confrontations. It was, yeah, Confrontations. Dimensions, yeah. Um, Another thing is that we do tend to, kind of revert to primal images and that's one of the things that spurred me on in my research with the with the trickster phenomenon is i think human beings when they when they're faced with something inexplicable that's totally out of the realm of understanding or even the the realm of experience uh we tend to revert to to more primal symbols and and we we tend to get archetypal in how we language these things and the work of terence mckenna i think uh, should be noted here uh he was someone that was very very uh keen on how we language uh inexplicable experiences whether induced uh, by dimethyltryptamine or lsd or psilocybin or uh possibly ritual magic uh, these are all areas that uh that are i think very important uh for our conversation here about your book and uh, I, I think that these primal images tend to color our languaging. And, and Terrence McKenna, I think, uh, has done a, a masterful job in, before he died in, in looking at the importance of our languaging. Oftentimes, it's, it's practically impossible to uh, put into words uh, these types of experiences. And, and being an investigator out in the field, I, from time to time, I would, I would have a case where a person really was at a loss for words. And sometimes the the types of descriptions that would come forth, even though they made sense to the person and they made sense in the conversation, they were nonsensical. And uh, it's very difficult for someone who is, uh, shall we say, a little bit more closed-minded or skeptical um, to look at this type of languaging and and do anything but just you know just throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, well, this person obviously has some issues here and uh, uh, there's nothing to see here. Let's move along. Right. Um, I think your book does a very good job of examining um, potential altered states of consciousness and how these, uh, what the connecting points are between unusual experiences and induced um, states of consciousness. Uh, do you want to address that a little bit? Absolutely, yeah. Um, you know, the book, as the as the title describes, "Magic, Mysticism, and the Molecule," it deals with three, uh, you know, approaches to the study of uh, inducing altered states. You know, what what you know, maybe uh, folk traditions and cultures, you know, especially archaic cultures, would have called magic. And of course, that brings to mind that quote, uh, you know, from Arthur Clarke, uh, that you know, any significant, you know, significantly advanced technology to a lesser advanced civilization could be, per- you know, perceived and viewed as magic. You know, that that comes right back to what I was talking about UFOs a moment ago. So magic in that sense, you know, is how maybe archaic traditions and and ancient cultures and even maybe some modern cultures, you know, that are, you know, more primitive in their approaches, uh, you know, you know, shamanism and whatnot. But I kind of draw a distinction there because uh, there's there's the magic, the mysticism, which is, you know, not just 
you know, meditation and things like you'd, you know, study in the East, but even, you know, modern mysticism. I take a lot of, uh, you know, time to look at, you know, uh, 20th century uh, Christian mysticism and how that. Into all that stuff. 20th century Christian mysticism. Jewish mysticism. I'll have to ask you about that. More. Micah Hanks joins us. Co host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in The Paracast. Hi, this is Ted Anderson. If you'd like to listen to GCN programs on the go, I have great news. GCN has created a Droid and iPhone application, and it's free. Just as easy as going to GCNlive.com, click on the banner, and download. Before you know it, you'll be listening to your favorite hard-hitting GCN shows, live or on demand, right on your Droid or iPhone, 24-7 and on the go. So download the Droid and iPhone app free by clicking on the banner at GCNlive.com. Thanks again for listening to GCNlive.com. Again, that's GCNlive.com. We the people grow cotton, weave fabric, engrave ink, embed strips and fibers to protect from counterfeit, and carting to a private bank, having it led back at interest, forcing taxes to service debt. This capitalism, or was Jefferson correct when stating a central bank issuing the public currency is a greater menace to the liberties of the people than a standing army? Ted Anderson, I'm placing a free silver dollar in a book that explains our monetary system. Call for your copy, 800-686-2237. It's time to understand the system. Call 800-686-2237. That's 800-686-2237. Welcome back to the Paracast, the gold standard of paranormal radio. And now, here's Gene Steinberg. Back with Micah Hanks, our guest for this week on the Paracast with Gene and Chris. We were focusing on folklore, modern and ancient folklore, Christian folklore, Christian mysteries. What about Jewish mysteries? Are there any to talk about? Oh, yeah, certainly. You know, we were talking about the mysticism section in, in my book, Magic Mysticism and the Molecule. Sure. Uh, the reason I took time to, uh, to uh, you know, to discuss mysticism and how that relates to altered states of consciousness is because there are so many reports of, uh, of, of interesting Fortiana and, and the unexplained uh, in mystic tradi- traditions, you know, from people around the world. There are cultural and religious interpretations of things which, you know, by all intents and purposes could be described in themselves as strange phenomena. I mentioned Christian mysticism. You know, and I, I use as a specific example, uh, you know, the Apostle Paul and his road to Damascus. To Damascus, uh, yeah. Yeah, that, 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 that was an ecstatic experience, you know, where all of a sudden he was literally blinded and he described rising into the third heaven and meeting uh, Christ, you know, very interesting. And that's very similar to, you know, some of the kinds of things that later have been described in the books of Terrence McKenna and, um, you know, even uh, Dr. Uh, Rick Strassman and his DMT studies. And when it comes to Jewish mysticism, you know, I've studied, obviously, one of my very favorite legends, truly, that I've loved and enjoyed for years and, and that has intrigued and fascinated me is that involving the uh, the so-called Golem of Prague, where the uh, the rabbi, the Maharal of Prague in the, I guess that was probably the uh, the 16th century, he, uh, you know, he had allegedly brought to life a man from mud, as described in the Hebrew Book of Formation. Uh, and this is, you know, going back, you know, even in Christian tradition, you know, the Bible, uh, you know, the, the description of Adam being created, you know, uh, was kind of the 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 the, uh, the the earliest example. You know, this this creation of a man from mud. The Maharal, according to, and again, this is interpreted as a legend, although you know, some you know, uh, mystic traditions accept this as being a true 
you know, occurrence that actually happened. The Maharal of, of Prague allegedly created a man from, from mud. And um, Yoseli, I believe was his name, the Golem of Prague. And he was created to defend, uh, you know, Jewish people who were being persecuted there in Prague toward the end of the 16th century, if I remember correctly. And uh, in that tradition, this golem, uh, you know, was brought to life through, and I found this so fascinating. It's not so much literally creating a man from mud and, and, and then writing something on his forehead, you know, and bringing him to life. Some traditions hold that you write uh, the, the word, I think it's imech is how it's pronounced, on a, uh, actually I think the word is mech, that you would write on a piece of paper and put it in the, the golem's mouth or write it on his forehead. Then you add the, the E letter, imech. If I'm pronouncing this correctly, my father's the the uh, the, the Hebrew scholar. I'm 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 you know trying to to hammer my way through it here, but that would create as opposed to the word life, death, and then hence deactivate the golem according to what tradition that you uh, follow of of its creation. But it's interesting because the the actual description of the creation of the golem was not so much the um, literal making of a man of mud and then you know turning a, a switch on his back and he gets up and starts walking around a living automaton. This process had more to do with, and as described, I believe, in the Book of Formation, the creation of any golem is an intense, a very intense and focused meditation that creates kind of an ethereal form of a being in the uh, in the spiritual sense that then takes residence in the body made of mud and brings it to life. And when I came across that, I was fascinated because in the Eastern traditions, typically, right, I think the, the tulpa. That's right. The ta- the tulpa, you know, which uh, you know Alexandra David uh, Nail and and others wrote about uh, from the uh, from the uh, the Tibetan uh, mystic tradition and whatnot. And John Keel wrote about tulpas even in the Mothman prophecies. That may have been a uh, a contemporary reference, you know, that began in the sixties and seventies in, in Western Fortiana and literature and whatnot. But the tulpa concept is the exact same sort of thing. You intensely focus and meditate on the creation of a god or a deity or an individual, and you literally create a physical manifestation of that. And the funny thing is, is that, you know, this is not a new concept when, when introduced into the, the realm of Fortiana and the unexplained. I think uh, Jerome Clark and uh, and Lauren Coleman, I think, and then, uh, gosh, what, what year was that book, The, Un, the Unidentified uh, published. Uh, you know, there have been a number of people who over the years have supposed that maybe psychological projections and tulpas and things like that could account for some of the strange phenomena that we see. And, and that certainly seems to be worthy of consideration due to the interactive uh, qualities that are often associated with, with strange phenomena. And so often people describe being able to either communicate with lights and things that they see, or they feel that they're able to telepathically communicate. I've even heard stories of people saying when they saw a Bigfoot that these things could communicate telepathically. I've also heard a number of instances where people say that the Sasquatch is appearing, they see it, it's flesh and blood, it's walking away, and it vanishes, disappears into thin air. Uh, you know, these reports are often discluded, or, or people laugh when they hear these kinds of reports. I've been told, talking face-to-face with so many people you know, who have become friends of mine who have told me that they've had this kind of thing happen that I literally, uh, you know, have had to step back and say, you know, I can either discount all these like everyone else chooses to do or I can try and look for meaning beneath that. And and it seems that whatever way you want to choose to look at it, whether it be through, you know, ancient magical practices, esoteric mystical practices or, you know, the, the, the what I call the full throttle in, induced kind of in, in induced kind of uh, you know experiences which I talk about in the molecule section of my book which, yeah yeah those are the, yeah those are the really fun ones and I think that's what Chris is want to get around and talk about you know yes, I think I would agree let's we only have less than an hour left with this episode of the Paracast I think we should move head 
Head, head first, first, full steam ahead. <laughs> full well, throttle. Why not? Then no, no time like hammer down. <laughs> no time like the present. Uh, Are we up the on a pedal break, to the, the metal? Uh, well, as long as we're not up on a break, we'll go ahead and we'll dive into it. Then I propose uh, the we're molecule- close, but three minutes away. You have a bit of time. Uh, yeah, well, you know, the mouth of the south, as they call me, I'll do my best. <laughs> Cram as much in there as possible. And they do okay, call you me the that, loud the mouth of the south. Just wanted to clarify that. C- can anyone can anyone imagine why they would call me something like that? I just no. But anyway, <laughs> but anyway, no, no. the third section of the book, Magic Mysticism and the Molecule, deals with uh, molecules. Uh, what I'm specifically uh, referencing here are uh, entheogenic molecules, things like dimethyltryptamine, uh, and also adrenochrome and other things believed to have uh, hallucinogenic properties. I talk a good bit about you know certain certain variations of what's called ayahuasca. That's a, a brewed a beverage, a tea sort of that, that's made in South America, um, which clearly, uh, you know, not all kinds of ayahuasca uh, are, are uh, entheogenic and, and will produce hallucinations, but a number of them do. And the reason why is because the liana plant, which is, uh, you know, akin to all uh, plants that uh, are all uh, recipes of the uh, ayahuasca brew, works in conjunction chemically with, with ingredients in certain other regional uh, variations of that recipe, and they produce a, uh, a psychedelic compound, dimethyltryptamine. Well, actually, they don't produce it. What they do is they allow it to be, uh, you know, consumed in the body and not be broken down when consumed orally like that, and therefore it induces hallucinations. If you were just to take DMT, for instance, and eat it, as, as I understand it, that that wouldn't have an effect on you. You know, you have to you have to have the uh, what is it? Is it beta carbolines, uh, uh, monoamine oxidase inhibitors that would keep it from yeah, breaking? It's an MAO inhibitor, right? Yeah, that allows yeah. the the body to absorb it. Yeah. Right, exactly. And, of course, I go into all that in my book, you know, talking about that. So people who have these experiences, point being, and I even talk about, you know, Abby Hoffman and some of the the early LSD experiences and things like that, often do describe uh, encounters with, for instance, one of the, the, the well-known archetypes of the, uh, of the psychonauts is the praying mantis being. Uh, interestingly, a lot of people who have, uh, you know, UFO abduction stories also recount meeting these praying mantis beings. And nine times out of ten, and especially if you want a good primer on this, read Dr. Rick Strassman's book, D&T, The Spirit Molecule, where many of the participants in that DEA-approved study in the 1990s where they were administered uh, dimethyltryptamine, they said this experience, we would go into this technological environment, we would see beings. It was so real you couldn't tell us if we hadn't known we were using a substance that what we had experienced was not, in fact, real and valid. And so it's it's very interesting because, again, altered states of consciousness seem to take people to this area where they reach a state, a place, some call it, that strangely is inhabited. They aren't like us, but they're enough like us that we seem to have something to share, some sort of information, some sort of an exchange that's supposedly occurring. And whether that be through Jewish mysticism or Christian mysticism, magical rituals and and practices, or, you know, inducing altered states of consciousness, which isn't something I'm telling people to go out and do. It can be very, very dangerous, but I, I talk about it in the book because people have done this, and this is another way that they've reached these states where they meet these beings. There seems to be some sort of a singularity, some sort of a simul- similarity between these experiences and what people are describing. Yeah. Let's do the break right now. We have Micah Hanks. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in the Paracast. You. 
expect professional service from your doctor, your accountant, and even the girl who takes your morning coffee order. Why not from your domain registrar, too? Namecheap.com provides stellar service with no sneaky upselling. We offer more features and security options for your website than there are ways to order a latte. And new domains come with WhoisGuard to protect your personal info. At Namecheap.com, you can get your domain for as low as $2.99. Now is a great time to get to know Namecheap.com. For 58 years, Fate has provided true reports of the strange and unknown. Fate brings you the latest in all aspects of the paranormal, like angels and miracles, psychic phenomena, ghosts, UFOs, and much, much more. To receive your complimentary Fate magazine, call now at 1-800-728-2730 or visit their website at www.fatemag.com. That's 1-800-728-2730. What are you waiting for? Your fate awaits. Hello again, I'm back. This is John Swenson at Midas Resources. And I want to address a couple of issues that I hear about daily when we're talking about gold and silver. First, is there anything to suggest that sunny skies are just ahead? We continue to print fiat dollars, inflation worsens, there's civil unrest around the world, and the demand for gold and silver has never, ever been higher. Next, if you heard that possessing metals is a complicated process, I assure you that whether we're discussing a direct purchase or an IRA rollover, this is a simple, straightforward transaction. This is all about protecting your assets, and frankly, what are your options? The stock market? Real estate? Metal certificates? I don't think so. Please call me, 800-686-2237, extension 128. I promise a casual conversation, no pressure, no nonsense. I'm John Swenson at 800-686-2237, extension 128, and I sincerely look forward to hearing from you. If you own a septic system or if you're facing costly septic system replacement, this message is for you. When you want to stop paying for pump outs and avoid backups, when you've had enough of the foul odors and costly repairs, use BioSafe One Septic Solution. Now there's an easy-to-use, 100% guaranteed answer to all your septic system problems. BioSafe One Septic Solution. BioSafe One is patented and made specifically for all septic systems and made by the same team of scientists who help clean up the Exxon Valdez oil spill. BioSafe One decontaminates and removes sludge, stops costly pump-outs and repairs, and removes septic system stench, all with a 100% success rate. See what gives BioSafe One Septic Solution the advantage over any other septic product at BioSafeOne.com. That's B-I-O-S-A-F-E-O-N-E.com. BioSafeOne.com. Or call toll-free 1-866-424-6663. That's 1-866-424-6663. BioSafe One, the guaranteed, bio-friendly, money-saving way to clean your septic system. Dr. David Berry has provided excellent advice for all those interested in practical economics and sound money. It's certainly worth reading. That's what Congressman Ron Paul said about Cha-Ching Wisdom, 123 Practical Universal Truths About Money, the new book by Dr. David Berry. The cool part of this book, certainly it'll speak to you personally, your life, your lifestyle, your, your money, your investments, but it also can be generalized into the nation, what's going on as a nation. We do these same things as, personally that we do as a nation. Dr. Berry's book, Cha-Ching Wisdom, presents many facets of your relationship with the once almighty dollar and how current national and international politics affect your daily life. Some of the other things are about that. They're not just uh, economic, they're philosophical. There's psychology involved in this book. There's philosophy involved in this book. Read Cha-Ching Wisdom by Dr. David Barry, only $9.95, available at cha-chingwisdom.com. That's C-H-A-C-H-I-N-G wisdom.com. Cha-Ching Wisdom.com. 
The GCN Radio Network, providing the world with hard-hitting talk radio. GCN. Great talk radio starts here. We want to hear from you. If you have a comment or question about the Paracast, send it to news at theparacast.com. That's news at theparacast.com. And don't forget to visit our famous Paracast community forums at forum.theparacast.com. Get in on all the action at forum.theparacast.com. There can be no question that you're in the Paracast, although Chris wondered for a moment because we were exploring other realities. And sometimes I was having a flashback. You see the flashbacks (laughs) when you explore the other realities, and sometimes things become very strange. Sometimes, well, there's an episode, by the way, on Fringe this past week where several of the lead characters take LSD in order to meet in another reality to, I don't know, become cartoon characters. Don't ask me to explain. You have to watch the show. This is the Paracast. I'm Gene with Chris O'Brien. We have Micah Hanks. Chris, pick up on the questioning and the discussions. Well, this brings to mind, I mean, we could do a whole show just on this subject, I I think. Uh, I think that this is a a, a very exciting, extremely underutilized uh, methodology. I've been toying with the idea of, you know, kind of diving back into the psychonaut uh, world, which I haven't been in for quite some years. Uh, Although I must say in the early to mid 70s, I was, uh, uh, that pedal was through the metal, uh, shall we say. Uh, Full throttle. Yeah, beyond full throttle uh, in hyperdrive. But that's being said, I personally, uh, you know, have imbibed on uh, quite a number of occasions. Uh, we'll just leave it at that. And I never had any of the sort of other being type uh, encounters or experiences, uh, whether real or imagined. But I did experience what Terrence McKenna referred to uh, as the voice, especially when uh, psilocybin uh, mushrooms were Part of the equation, and this voice, uh, I feel, is a very interesting subject. Uh, it, it's it's similar to uh, a disembodied sort of. I, I wouldn't even know how to describe it again. We're getting into that whole thing of languaging and trying to describe the un- indescribable, but. Mm-hmm. It, it, it definitely is something separate from you. It definitely has its own perspective and its own sort of wisdom, if you will, or in some sense of the word, almost a tricksterish kind of quality as well. I know it's an overused term here, but it's very appropriate. And one of the things that I've found is that, that these substances, uh, if you even mention them in the same breath as any sort of investigative process, you are automatically uh, just branded a, a nutcase. This guy obviously is a loose cannon. And so I've stayed away from this subject. And I really admire your, your, your um, courage, really, to, to come out and really make a case for a connection between altered states of consciousness uh, and the experiences of, of people in, in, in the paranormal. And, well, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I think this is a very underutilized potential investigative tool as well. And I'm kind of toying around with uh, designing an experiment that will feature uh, certain investigators full throttle, other investigators not full throttle, and other investigators not knowing which are which, you know, kind of a double bind thing where you have impartial third party observers who don't know who's doing what and uh-huh. just uh, comparing notes uh, at a particular location specific site, which I've already picked out. So this would be, I think, um, an example of w- one of the things I really admire about your work, and that is really looking forward, coming up with creative investigative ideas and taking this thing to the next level. Um, 
obviously we've been spinning our wheels in ufology for 60 years where the wheel as far as i'm concerned flew off a long time ago <laughs> and we really we really aren't making any forward progress i think haunted site investigations these types of altered uh, consciousness uh, approaches i think are really important and will bring the the field forward, I think. Uh, what are your feelings on that? Well, you know, I mean, I think that, yeah, we have to revolutionize the way that we approach these sorts of things. You know, yes, there, there is a, a good bit of information that, that deals with, uh, you know, what we call the psychonaut, psycho explorers, you know, people who would, you know, induce hallucinations, which keep in mind, Carl Jung did this. Carl Jung, you know, uh, who was one of the, the forefathers, you know, of, of modern psychology, didn't really come out quite to, to what extent he did this until a few years ago with the publication of his, uh, his uh, self Self, uh, you know, illustrated and illuminated. The Red, Red Book. Book. The Red Book. That's fascinating. First edition. <laughs> That's so fascinating, you know. And uh, he, of course, as I understand it, Young had begun to hear voices and see images and things like that uh, in midlife. Keeping in mind that he had described early in life feeling like, you know, that he, his his psyche and his soul were kind of inhabited by two individuals. One that was the young boy, the schoolboy that he was, and one that was an an 18th century European gentleman. Uh, you know, he described seeing, uh, you know, a ghost emerge from his mother's bedroom one evening when he was a, a kid. And he was very bothered by these sorts of things. And then later in life, he began to hear voices and see images and spirits and things like that and began to think, gee, I must be actually succumbing to psych psychosis myself. Now, what, now, how would somebody today be treated if they began to experience these sorts of things. They'd be doped up on medication or thrown in a hospital, and, be, and they'd be told that they were crazy for the rest of their lives. Carl Jung decides to induce hallucinations and try and learn from what he believed were some sort of, uh, you know, some sort of elements of his own uh, superego or so, uh, subconscious, you know, and that he wanted to try and understand the complete uh, you know, revelation, so to speak. He had a clash with his own subconscious, and what he learned was the result was, you know, what he called active animation, and of course, you know, the, the, the basis for his, you know, theories about archetypes, which has become a foundation for some in modern psychology. Now, I'm not saying that everyone who claims that they have, a, you know, a, um, a, a hallucination, whether that be self-induced or, you know, just the onset of something which we would label psychosis. I'm not saying that we that every individual who has this happen uh, is actually having some sort of sort of an otherworldly or a you know, subconscious encounter with something unexplained that they should learn from. I do think, though, that maybe every instance of strange phenomena that is that is reported is not indeed, you know, what we would define, you know, as a clinical psychological aberration that should be treated through the, uh, you know, the uh, prescription of medication. I think it, it's very sad that we, we tend to take people who have quote-unquote problems, you know, ADHD or whatever, and, and we got to dope them up because you, according to our society's standards, are crazy. And that's just not acceptable. It's not healthy. You know, obviously, Carl, Carl Jung was able to learn from it. But I realize it's a fine line that we draw, we, you know, saying who is crazy and who is not and who can literally learn from their experiences with the unexplained. But the point is, is that obviously consciousness is a very difficult thing to describe. Reality is probably an in, impossible thing to describe. We have these encounters with strange phenomena. You talk about the voice that people describe when they're using psilocybin. And I talk, you know, I was, you know, I went and uh, actually sat down and had dinner with a young man here from Asheville. Uh, he contacted me and said, I'd like to get together and talk because I've had some strange things going on. And I hear that you're someone who might be able to help with this. And he contacted me and told me that he had, on a number of instances, woke up and heard the voice of a woman whispering to him. And there was no one in the room. And he said, I don't feel like my house is haunted. It's a new house. I don't understand what's happening. You wouldn't believe how many people have contacted me and said that they'll wake up in the morning and hear a woman whisper to them, don't move, or something similar to that. I had a friend who told me about this, and he literally he hears this woman say, don't move, and he goes, okay. 
and just lays there for five minutes. And then he jumps up out of bed and he's ready to strike somebody. And he, he, you know, he ended up asking his roommate later, did you have a girl over here staying the night last night? No, no, there wasn't anybody over here. And you hear about this, you know, and people start literally questioning their own sanity for right. years. And we had a guest on recently where uh, he had a voice tell him that the underground bases were real. And <laughs> oh. oh boy, did that, that, that ignite a firestorm on the Paracast forums. Uh, I'm referring to Dr. Richard Souter, of course, who went on mm-hmm. to write the preeminent book on the uh, subject. And uh, he got validation from a, a mysterious disembodied voice that uh, had a whole conversation with it. Yeah, you know, I, I, I got a letter after I made some sarcastic comments about the voices, pointing me to research that had been done into being able to use machines to send those voices, disembodied voices, to people, a real-life scientific development. Who knows? Micah Hanks joins us this week. I'm Gene Steinberg. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. You're in The Paracast. Is there a secret UFO agenda? Do strange creatures from the darkest corners of the mind roam the Earth? Is there evidence for mind control, time travel, or devious government conspiracies? Find out the inside scoop on the latest conspiracies, paranormal activity, and Freudian phenomena when you subscribe to Tim Beckley's Conspiracy Journal. It's jam-packed with stories, special book and DVD promotions, and the best news, it's absolutely free, sent right to your mailbox. Plus, a bonus free email newsletter sent out every Friday. Simply send an email with your name and address to MrUFO.com at webtv.net that's mr ufo at webtv.net find out what they don't want you to know sore throat spray that with dermatol diaper rash spray that with dermatol ouch burn or cut Spray that with Dermatol for shockingly fast relief. If you had room for only one first aid product in your preparedness kit, you need Dermatol because it works on almost every skin irritation or injury. All natural Dermatol brings amazing relief to burns, cuts, scrapes, bites, boils, shingles, rashes, elderly skin tears, even chronic diabetic ulcers and bed sores. Dermatol is an all natural antimicrobial, antiviral, and antifungal wound cleanser that speeds healing with no side effects, is safe for all ages and skin types, and is even safe enough to spray on sore throats or onto sore eyes. Read our many testimonials at Dermatol.com spelled D-E-R-M-A-T-O-L.com. Order online at Dermatol.com or call 800-217-6677. That's 800-217-6677. Effective, efficient, economical. Spray it all with Dermatol. We all need to prepare ourselves. You might have the food, water, gold, and silver, but ask yourself, are you truly prepared? That's why you need to visit MainMilitary.com. MainMilitary.com carries everything you need. Gas masks, wool blankets, fire starter kits, high-capacity magazines, chemical suits, military surplus items, and much more. Do you own a firearm? MainMilitary.com has a large selection of pistols and rifles suited for your needs. Are your local stores sold out of ammunition? Call or visit them today for prices on hard-to-find ammo and bulk ammo orders. You don't need to worry about having a military surplus store in your area because MainMilitary.com is the only store you'll ever need, all from the comfort of your computer. Visit them online today at MainMilitary.com. That's Maine, like the state, Military.com. Or call them at 1-877-608-0179. 
That's 1-877-608-0179. The food storage industry leader has done it again. Introducing FDG clubs and survival bucks from the Freeze-Dry Guy. For over 39 years, the Freeze-Dry Guy has served various government agencies and the private sector with the finest in storable foods and emergency rations. If you've wanted to build emergency food supplies but couldn't afford it, now you can. Go to freezedryguy.com, click on products, and look for the Freeze Dry Guy clubs to pay as you go. Now you can build food storage without going into debt. Choose from a payment range of $95 to $450 per month. Our clubs work with everyone's budget. Plus, when you join Freeze Dry Guy clubs, you'll get additional rewards. For example, this month, get 10% back in survival bucks on all purchases in the Freeze Dry Guy product line, plus free shipping within the lower 48 states on any order amount. Hurry, go to freezedryguy.com or call 866 404 That's freezedryguy.com or call 866-404-3663. The Freeze Dry Guy, the best you can buy. America's number one source for independent talk radio for over a decade. We are the GCN Radio Network. My name is Richard Dolan. You're listening to the Paracast. We're winding down trying to understand the incredible mysteries, paranormal mysteries, strange creatures, strange events, and other things. Does it require taking some kind of substance to gain this understanding, or can you basically induce yourself? to be more perceptive by meditation or something? Does it always have to be chemical? That's a good question. That is a good question. And actually, if, if you don't mind, I'll dive in there and I'll, I'll, I'll take a, a whack at that one. Without specific, chemicals. Without chemicals. Well, here's the thing. You know, when we talk about a self-induced hallucination, you know, maybe with the uh, utilization of something like dimethyltryptamine, what we do know about that, uh, very interestingly, is that not only is dimethyltryptamine a close chemical cousin of melatonin produced in our bodies, which regulates sleep, sex drive, and a number of things like that, dimethyltryptamine is also produced in the body. It is believed by Rick Strassman and others to, uh, to emanate from the pineal gland, but we don't know for certain. If that's where it's from, we do know that, you know, that, that blood can be the levels of DMT can be measured in the bloodstream, you know, specifically, you know, after blood is extracted, you know, from a corpse when a person is recently deceased. And this uh, leads it lends itself, according to some, to the theory that maybe there is a release of DMT into the body at the time of death or just before, which uh, is what causes, you know, these near death experiences and things like that. And uh, and of course, people seeing angels while they're lying in the hospital bed on their way out. Thomas Alva Edison was very skeptical, very and almost atheist in his in his approach to, you know, the stranger aspects of life. And while he was lying on his deathbed was said to have, have actually quoted something along the lines of, they're so beautiful, I can see them over there, and then passed away. So, you know, we hear all these instances where people have things like this happen, and maybe not just at the time of death, maybe during, you know, extreme trauma or shock-induced, uh, you know, scenarios where someone, you know, is maybe near death, hence Dr. Raymond Moody's term, the near-death uh, experience, perhaps the chemical reason behind that is the release of something like dimethyltryptamine into the bloodstream. So, you know, Gene, when we're talking about, you know, not inducing an experience or taking chemicals, you know, I think that there are always chemical components, but maybe those actually occur within our bodies. And the very same sorts of things, if we could open a metabolic pathway within ourselves, uh, could occur without having to actually take something, you know, from outside our bodies. 
Um, how that would occur is another great mystery. Some people describe that meditation seems to to do this, and I think that like all things that can be learned and acquired, that maybe you know the ability to control metabolic pathways, you know, in our bodies that could elicit uh, you know ecstatic visions and things like that through perhaps meditation, breathing exercises, ecstatic postures, yoga, things like that. It very well could be something that you know through time and practice could be uh, tapped into and learned to, to to control to a degree. Well, you know, part of the problem, I think, what the skeptics are going to say, anytime you put chemicals into the picture, chemicals enter the picture, meditations, things like that, suddenly it's no longer real. It's just a product of your imagination. There exactly. can't be any external reality. So the question is here, how do you demonstrate or validate an external reality? The problem is you can't, and the truth of the matter is, is that even if we, if we look at science, we have rigorous scientific, you know, methodology. We have the scientific method. We can quantify certain things that are observable in nature, and therefore we write little theses, you know, or theses and, and 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 hypotheses about this is what we believe is occurring. But you know, this is why I bring it back to to philosophy. What do we really know? What do the five senses really tell us? It we can't pretty, even define consciousness. We can't. I mean, we science has yet to really define consciousness because you need consciousness to define itself. Exactly. You know, and it becomes kind of a, you know, a vicious circle. The mainstream scientific establishment believes, and this is the big problem, we believe because we have observed and we know that this is true and therefore these things outside of that are not. And frankly... I don't know that anything observable is truly quantifiable, <laughs> you know, and that's the big problem. Well, you know, it has to be quantifiable to some degree. I mean, or else we're all just, you know, uh, you know, meat bodies floating out here in space. You know, yeah, I know it gets to be a very difficult argument. But the thing is, is once you begin to look at things like that and you realize how impossible it is to define reality, consciousness and all these things and realize that everything that we take as scientific fact is actually dependent entirely on our perspective of reality, which is something that we're continuing to revise and formulate, whether it be relative string theory, any of these things. And it's also dependent entirely on perception, which is dependent on what? Consciousness. We think we're consciousness. We think, therefore, we are, right? I believe a famous philosopher said that once. And therefore, here we are. But what do we really know outside the five senses? What inside our head can we really trust about what we observe? And if you realize and you accept that, then and only then, I think, can, can we open our mind to the possibility that there are things outside of what we would call conventionally observable, which shouldn't maybe be discounted entirely. Maybe meditation and maybe the strange phenomenon and the, and the interrelationship between all these kinds of things, maybe there's something very valid about that. Maybe it's the very essence of our human subconscious and, and collective conscious, you know. It's the very heart of being human, and we're denying this incredibly important aspect of ourselves. Right, and then we have to come up with a languaging to effectively communicate it to uh, someone else. You have a whole, you know, filter and interpretive process that goes on there, and what is uh, what is communicated may not be uh, interpreted correctly by the person being uh, communicated to. So true. It's 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 a really slippery slope when you're dealing with this whole conundrum. And uh, again, I think your book does a very good job of of sort of looking at this in a new and different way and and applying it uh, from your own personal experiences and also uh, from, you know, the obvious amount of, you know, intense research that you did to, uh, you know, to examine these subjects. And I personally feel that we need to come up with something. We need to come up with a new, you know, approach for investigation. Uh, we need to uh, get really creative, get out of the box, because I think anything short of that is just going to have us uh, sitting here spinning our wheels. And, Amen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I testify. 
Testify, uh, brother. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm up. I'm up on the uh, pulpit. Forget the soapbox. Uh, okay, ladies and gentlemen, we have Brother Chris <laughs> and Brother Micah. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. Oh okay. goodness. This has become the religious power hour, ladies and gentlemen. From Piedmont, Alabama. I believe. No, I got my start in radio in a place called Piedmont, Alabama. And the radio station, I don't even know if it still exists, called WPID. And I asked somebody, what does that mean? It means, well, Piedmont is dead. (laughs) And the first morning, Sunday morning I was there, we had some religious organization. And they came in there and they did their show. And I learned in broadcasting school, I learned in college, that you didn't want to overdrive the modulation. Otherwise, if you did, the FCC might cite you. Now, of course, before they had all these limiters and stuff that control the volume at real radio stations. Right. So this brother, whoever, and his crew, they'd get in there and he'd start preaching very soft, so I'd turn up the level. And then he got louder, and I turned down the level, and it got louder. And suddenly it was so loud, I thought I could open the door and the entire town could hear him screaming and yelling and then he talked about the sinners and he looked squarely at me Ooh, that hurt that's my experience oh boy chapman's chapel it was called (laughs) because you were moderating his volume that's right you you didn't even need to do a broadcast you could open the door and the whole town would have heard the guy (laughs) that was it oh fascinating gene he never came back the following week (laughs) did he not really no he didn't because piedmont's dead uh, something died. You know, we're going to get letters now because we're heard in Atlanta. You know, Piedmont was halfway between Birmingham and Atlanta. We have an Atlanta outlet picking this up. So I'm kind of expecting that somebody who listens to us in the southern part of the U.S. is going to write a letter and say, oh, that crazy Steinberg character from New York, and he's ragging on southern preachers. And why would he do something like that? What's the matter with him? And you know what? In those days... In another town in which we live, Tuscumbia, near Muscle Shoals, where they have all those famous recording studios, ah, yeah. one of our close friends was a local preacher who was co-owner of the country music radio station. What a strange <laughs> history I have lived. Oh, yes. Yeah. Intriguing. We well, could spend an entire place. An hour of phenomenology with Gene Steinberg. Reminiscing about things that have nothing to do with the paranormal, or they have a peripheral relationship that I can't discern. That's how it goes. We have Micah Hanks, and he has something called the Graylian Report, which is about gray aliens and any other color and Mothman and all sorts of strange, unusual mysteries. And we've been covering some of the stuff, and we'll be kind of bringing it all home. We'll bring it all home in our final segment with Micah. Micah Hanks joining us. The co-host is Chris O'Brien. I'm Gene Steinberg. You're in. The Paracast. Graphic Converter is the image manipulation tool for the rest of us. It does not use any database. You get full control of all your files. Want to view the images of a folder? Drag it into Graphic Converter, and a powerful browser opens up to show your image files. You could use it for slideshows. You could use it to import images from digital cameras or from scanners. Need to do some image editing? You can do that, too, in Graphic Converter. Also, print catalogs. Convert from so many 
formats, I can't even list them. Download now to see if Graphic Converter is good for you, like one and a half million other users. Guess what? You could save money when you buy Graphic Converter. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL. Use the coupon code NIGHTOWL to get a special price for Graphic Converter. Go to LemkeSoft.com. That's L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. LemkeSoft.com. L-E-M-K-E Soft.com. Are you still a traditional smoker? Now experience a new lifestyle and try vaping with e-cigarettes by LeSig. Imagine no ashes, stains, nasty smell, or coughing and hacking. With LeSig e-cigarettes revolutionary microelectronic technology, rechargeable battery, and unique replaceable cartridge, you'll get all the benefits and satisfaction of smoking without the hazards. Choose your taste from a wide variety of our new American-made vaporian e-liquids at LeSig.com. And LeSig smokes the competition by serving thousands of worldwide customers with real people customer service, fast, free, same-day shipping, and a 30 day warranty and satisfaction guarantee. So are you ready for a new vaping lifestyle? Then call 870-518-4307. That's 870-518-4307. Or visit LeSig.com, spelled L-E-C-I-G.com. LeSig e-cigarettes for today's modern smoker. We all know that Berkey Water Purification Systems are the most trusted name in water filtration. As an authorized Berkey dealer for over six years in serving thousands of satisfied customers, the Berkey Guy offers amazing specials for Berkey Water Filtration Systems. The Berkey Light Systems include a set of self-sterilizing and recleanable black purification elements that purify water by removing chlorine, pathogenic bacteria, cysts and parasites to non-detectable levels and remove harmful chemicals such as herbicides and pesticides. Order the Berkey Light System system today complete with two black berkey elements for only 231 dollars and the berkey guy will ship your order free of charge with the purchase of a berkey light the berkey guy is also offering a set of fluoride and arsenic filters for only 39.99 that's over 30 percent off the retail price call the berkey guy at 1-877-886-3653 that's 1-877-886-3653 or order online at goberkey.com that's goberkey.com today do you suffer from adrenal fatigue? Did you know that mercury from your dental fillings can deposit into your kidneys and adrenals and cause them to lose up to 60% of their functional capacity? I've had first-hand experience with the damage mercury can do to the body. I've made it a life's work to figure out what went wrong after I got two large mercury fillings put into my teeth. I also know the most effective means by which the body can remove mercury. It has to do in large part with how well your liver functions and how much glutathione your cells produce. The number one superfood that supports optimal levels of glutathione is cold-processed whey protein from grass-fed cows. One World Whey is unheated whey protein from grass-fed cows. It is the most bioactive, undenatured whey protein on the market. People are reporting health improvements from this one product that I've not seen in 20 years of clinical nutritional practice. Call 888-988-3325. That's 888-988-3325. Or visit OneWorldWay.com. That's OneWorld, W-H-E-Y.com. Are you tired of searching for great talk radio? Something more important. Search no more. We are the GCN Radio Network.
music from our guest, Micah Hanks. It comes down to this with Micah Hanks on the PowerCast with Gene and Chris. We're exploring incredible mysteries, and I guess we could just go into any question we've asked and do two shows worth from each one. But I kind of wonder, Micah, all the areas that we're covering, a lot of them tend to be alien to traditional science. They don't want to look at this stuff. They don't want to look at things, well, maybe you take a substance or maybe you meditate. Maybe you see something that we don't have in our textbooks. So how do you encourage such people to investigate this stuff? Because we really need to know what's going on. Well, I, I suggest that you must be scientific. You know, you must, uh, you know, I, I recommend uh, go to your area thrift shops or a Goodwill store or something like that. I spend a lot of time combing through used bookstores where I can get, you know, all kinds of books. I don't I don't go out always looking for something. I, I, I go out to see what I'll find. I find books about, uh, oh, gosh, you wouldn't believe all the different kinds of things, you know. But a lot of the time you'll also find textbooks. Pick up a textbook on, on uh, you know, uh, schizophrenia or, or, you know, psychological aberrations. Pick up a textbook about the scientific method. Pick up a textbook about physics. You know, grab, grab something that you can, you know, because the thing is, is you can find anything you want inexpensively. And you'll find even more things that you didn't know that you wanted but you, that you'll want when you see them. Get books. Learn. You know, but do understand the scientific method. You know, I, I have a little beginner's guide to the scientific method that, you know, is usually uh, incorporated into, uh, you know, general science and biology courses and in community colleges and things like that. And I'll, I'll review that every now and then. You will learn from this to be careful drawing patterns and associations and parallels between seemingly unrelated phenomena. Let's a real quick example. You know, we could say that uh, maybe, uh, for instance, that people who make uh, a lot of money uh, typically are older. Now, older people also are typically going to uh, be more inclined to wear glasses because, you know, as, as one progresses throughout their years and everything, their eyesight diminishes somewhat. Uh, so can we draw a correlation between younger people who are not wealthy and uh, – or rather not younger people who are not wealthy. Can we draw a correlation between people who are wealthy and people who have poor eyesight, knowing that maybe traditionally a person who's worked their entire life and set back more money are going to have more money, but their eyesight also diminishes. Younger people who haven't worked as long don't have as much money, better eyesight. Can we say that there's a direct relationship between a, a, you know, less income and good eyesight? I don't think so. You know, that's the thing. You do have to be careful sometimes uh, when you draw – you know, associations and correlations between things. And coming back to Mothman, which we opened the uh, the show discussing, you know, did Mothman cause the collapse of the Silver Bridge? Probably not. I think that it's it's difficult to infer. And I know that that, you know, would incite fury among a lot of people who have studied this stuff for a long time. What about the death lists? What about the, you know, the, the reports of, of strange phenomenon, you know, occurring in tandem with, with uh, bad luck? You know, I won't deny that that's the case, you know, and that's why I bring up some of the lesser known, uh, you know, entities like Walker. Sam, you know, even the uh, the leaping louts along the line of uh, Parak, the spring man of Prague, which was kind of a variation of the uh, leaping uh, fiend of, of uh, London, the uh, the infamous spring Jack. A lot of these Fortean characters, uh, you know, who in all likelihood, uh, many of them are either the result of, of folklore and folktales or you know, hoaxes, but occasionally there have, there has to be some truth behind some of this stuff. But whatever the case may be, wherever these these ideas come from, they are very often associated with, with bad luck and misdeeds, misfortune and things like that. Does that mean that if a Bigfoot shows up that, you know, you're going to have a death in the family or that if you see a UFO that you're going to lose your job? I don't think so. And I think that we have to be careful when we draw those kind of parallels, you know, and, and infer things about phenomena that may not actually truly 
exist. I think that the big problem with ufology today is that we have spent the last several decades assuming that there is an elaborate alien hybridization program going on and that people are being abducted by creatures from outer space. You know, you want to, here's my opinion, and I'll tell you right now, if you want to know the truth, I don't think that we should look at alien abduction reports necessarily in tandem with UFO reports. Although sometimes the appearance of a UFO uh, occurs in conjunction with people's claims of seeing beings and things like that. Sometimes I think that truly electromagnetic and other forms of radiation sometimes can induce hallucinations. We know that scientifically. We don't know who pilots these UFO crafts, but we can't deny that those are seen either because of the multitude of data that has been gathered, you know, by various government agencies, you know, and civilian organizations who sometimes have done a better job than the government agencies. We know that UFOs occur. We don't know who pilots them, from where they come, if someone pilots them, and if they are aliens, let alone whether people are being abducted from their homes at night. We know that we have evidence that suggests that. But have we jumped to conclusions and drawn parallels between two perhaps unrelated phenomena that just appear to have some sort of a relationship? Is there a correlation that's been made there over the years that may not exist? I think it's very likely. And however strange they may sound to people, more and more information is coming out about the field of UFO and abduction research that seems to be pointing in directions other than where we've been looking. And, and it, to kind of capitalize on something Chris said, and has kind of been a theme that Chris has been brought up by bringing up throughout the program, you know, we need to look at, at strange phenomena and we need to look at reports of the unusual a little differently. We need to stop taking for granted things that people have said for a hundred years about strange phenomenon, whether it be whether Mothman traditionally has wings as we know it, or whether it be, you know, UFOs piloted by, you know, God knows what or who. You know, there's so much that we have assumed, so little that we do know, and so little that can be, you know, scientifically justified. If we want to be taken seriously, the true scientific processes would not draw those kinds of correlations and make those bold assumptions without the evidence to back them up. So what are we really left with? Who knows? But that's what we're trying to find out. Very good. Well stated. Okay, so trying to figure out where the correlations are. And maybe one of the other things we see is whether or not paranormal researchers are stretching themselves to want to have everything be part of one singular mystery. Cryptozoology, strange creatures, UFOs, cattle mutilations, ghosts, everything has to fit into one basket. Does it? If, if they do, I would say that that has more to do with human perception and, again, consciousness than anything. Uh, and how we perceive strange phenomena. Uh, you know, that's the question. I think that sometimes, you know, there's that old, uh, I think it was a Chinese proverb that said that, you know, sometimes the path, you know, the process of getting to some place is more important than actually reaching the destination. And I think that the same thing may be the case with strange phenomena. And we look at creatures like a Bigfoot and we focus so much on what does the, what is the meaning of this? Why was he there? What was that thing doing there at that time on that date in that location? Obviously, it wouldn't it wouldn't be an issue why he was there or what he was doing there. That Sasquatch on that date at that time, it wouldn't be an issue if it didn't mean something to us. What is the significance? What is the meaning uh, that, that 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 we take on as humans uh, and that, that keeps us interested and that keeps us fascinated? This this desire to know as humans, we want to do that. You know, we want to understand our surroundings. We want to know why. And the reason these things are unexplained and often outright dismissed is because they just fall so far outside what we call reality. But the thing is, is I think that the interrelationship we have with strange phenomena, we need to understand that. We need to understand the meaning. Why is it that we are so interested in this? What, what can we learn from our fascination 
and, and the potentials that could exist, aside from just trying to categorize and gather reports of these things, we can do that all day. And people have been doing that for decades. But what have we what have we learned? You know, we, we've got a lot of books that describe reports of UFOs and encounters with Bigfoot and things like that. But people aren't trying to look at those encounters and they're not trying to understand the meaning of the interrelationship. You know, and that's what, what I kind of think what we have to do. But in terms of is there some sort of something that interconnects all this? Uh, if there is, again, I think that that has more to do with understanding that interrelationship, human perception, and what it has to do with consciousness in general. Well, it also goes back to whether there is a mystery to be found anyway. Oh, yeah. Of course. That goes back to the basic question, not why are they here, but who are they? And if we resolve who they might be, and that goes for UFOs or any of these other mysteries, then maybe we would be in a position to figure out why they're here and maybe we're not meant to know that maybe they don't want us to know or they want us to know in little tidbits as we're ready to know the next tidbit of information and so we keep on the quest but we never quite get there but we keep moving on micah hanks where do we find more of the stuff that you write and talk about well, I'm writing prolifically these days for MysteriousUniverse.org, and you can, of course, visit that URL and read mine and Nick Redfern's articles, My Brother from Another Mother. You know, Nick and I are going to have to write a book eventually together because we keep popping up in all the same places, UFO Magazine, Intrepid Magazine. Do check out IntrepidMagazine.com. That's a new magazine I've been working with, along with Scott Roberts, good friend, and, uh, you know, that's been a, a wonderful project and a great undertaking for us. But, of course, you know, Micah Hanks' personal blog, The Grayling Report, is www.grailienreport.com. And you can always get your, your strange and unusual news updates there. Chris O'Brien, where do we find your stuff? Well, I tend to be on the forum.paracast.com boards uh, quite a bit. Uh, and also I have my own website, ourstrangeplanet.com. And we have a link now in the Paracast forums. So you go there with a single click. Micah Hanks, thanks for joining us this week on the Paracast. Always my pleasure. presentation of Making the Impossible Incorporated. Tune in next week for a new adventure in The Paracast.